As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Spotcast, start date 96896-MARK-36. My name is Dimitri and I am on the USS Toronto, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline on the USS Mississauga. Hello. And we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the USS Seattle. How's it going? As we go into battle. Battle stations. I like the fact that they had the uh, the original Star Trek uh, klaxons firing up today. Mm-hmm. All righty. Um, so, Jaime, do we have any Ask, ask, ask Spotcast? I must have Ask MTJC. Do we have any Ask Spotcast? We do. We have one from friend of the show and JPK News spawn, uh, Xavier Kuline, <laughs> who tells us that Pokemon started as a video game. First ones were Pokemon Red and Blue. Uh, they were on mm-hmm. the original Game Boy, and he has yes. uh, he has them both, so he knows from experience. And the TV show started in 97, and the card came in 96. So the video games were apparently released earlier that year in 96 in February, then the card game in October of 96, and then the TV show in 97. So pretty, pretty quick uptake on the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. becoming part of the popular culture. Culture, I think. So 96 and 97, that's like, what, six or nine years before he was his math, before he was even born? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, and, and, and it's gone on to become the most yes, profitable... As your, your fact check, yes. Yes. The most profitable media franchise in history. It's made more money than Star Wars, Star Trek, made more money than anything you can think of, more money than all the Marvel movies. $90 billion US is the estimate right now. In That's in 22, 23 years. So when it when the movie comes out next... Uh, Pokemon Detective, it'll it'll have ninety one million billion dollars, and yeah. it'll, it'll be still be the highest highest uh, profiting franchise. Yep, that list is fascinating. Though I don't know if you guys, I saved it into our notes. We'll we'll put mm-hmm. it up into our show notes. But the list of the most popular uh, or most profitable franchises is according to Wikipedia. 
take it with a grain of salt. But uh, fascinating, fascinating wow. list. Hello Kitty. Yeah, number one Hello, is Pokemon. Kitty. At at uh, so this is from 1996 till now has made 90 billion dollars. That is pretty impressive because that's a short period of time. Hello Kitty, 1974 till now. $80 billion. That's the number two all-time most profitable uh, franchise. Followed by Winnie the Pooh, uh, $75 billion from 1924 on. Mickey Mouse and Friends, 1928, $70 billion. Star Wars, 77 on, $65 billion. Anpan Man, I don't know what that is. That's yeah, it's a manga. Japanese character that is basically a, a piece of bread that's alive. Um, like a superhero kind of thing. That's why I to use the, the To the tune of pan. $60 billion? Does he battle grilled cheese and ketchup or what i've never seen any of the media but i've seen tons of the um like the treats that you would buy at the like japanese candy stores wow that's a lot of candy yeah going yep. going to I, I assume there's like a like a japan town in toronto just given its size so go into one of the stores where they sell imported goods and i guarantee you will see this character so wait what is disney princess which is the next on the list what does that mean so they've actually branded that as its own sort of thing now so they basically united all the princesses under this brand starting in 2000 and collectively if you add up all the movies and and merchandising and everything for Disney princesses right. you, and they've added Leia and Amadella, uh, Queen I don't, Amadella I don't know if they have know. or if this is just talking about the the, the you know the Moanas and the the uh, Cinderella's and the you know uh, all the different sort of Disney princesses Sleeping Beauty and all the ones that were in the most record, recent Wreck-It Ralph movie right oh I see right yeah yeah um, yeah, and the list rounded out. So we got Mario, Ma- Mario, Shonen Jump, uh, Mario, Harry Potter, my, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe does make the list. But again, since 2008, they've made $29 billion. That's a lot of money. But then again, when you put it in it's the, no $90 billion, it's no nine, no $90 billion. Yeah. Like step it up, Marvel. Come on. Of course, they're, they're going to tack like $3 billion on this year alone. So actually, if you add in the Spider-Man, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff from this year, plus Captain Marvel, plus Avengers, they're probably going to tack on maybe five or six billion dollars more this year. So that's pretty impressive. But well, wow, James Bond is way down there on the list. Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings, Peanuts, mm-hmm. Transformer, Call of Duty, Neon Genesis, Evangelion, Evangelion, Evangelion. I don't know. Evangelion. It's got a yeah. complicated, weird name, but it's uh, Evangelion. But yes, it does have the root of like evangelist in its name. Yeah, yeah. Dora the Explorer, The Simpsons, Pac Man, Looney Tunes, Square Bo- SpongeBob SquarePants. Space Invaders. Wow, that started off with a video game. Yeah. But again, you look at these ones and you're like, oh, it's pretty impressive. They made, you know, 12, 13, 14 billion dollars. But then, when, yeah, when it takes you back to the top of that list and you realize like Pokemon is at 90 billion dollars. And again, it's only been around for 23 years. That's yeah. staggering. It's, it's crazy. Staggering. This list goes on for days. Yeah. Yeah. Long, long list. We're not going to go through the whole thing. No, no. But it's a fascinating list. We, I highly encourage our uh, our fans to have a look because it really is mm. fascinating to look at, at some of the, your favorite franchises. I mean, you know, five billion dollars worth of Care Bears. Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, five billion bucks. Wow. Candy Crush, crazy, crazy. All right. And so, what do you got what, in the headlines? We've got something from Jaime here. Yeah, the 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 first one, the huge headlining news that I just noticed right before recording this show is that um, there's a video of Jason Momoa where he is uh, saying goodbye to Aquaman and Cal Drogo spiritually, as it is that he is shaving his beard so, 
first time since 2012. And he's really pushing um, people moving away from plastic, particularly in bottles, and move towards recyclable aluminum. And as part of that, he's got a whole thing where at the tail end, they have a um, bottled water that is in an aluminum can. And so mm. it's uh, maybe a couple minute video where he and his friend are uh, talking about aluminum or aluminium. And you know, he's talking about how disturbing it is that, you know, you go on an airplane and they have this giant plastic bottle water they give you, but they have you know, metal cans where the soda is like, why don't they just use metal cans? And yeah, I thought it was interesting mm. to see to see him uh, clean shaven at the very tail end. Wow. Yeah. But it doesn't mean he's giving up on Aquaman, does it? No, I mean, he's probably a guy who like, you know, sneezes and half a beard comes out. So I'm sure he'll be ready in a couple months. Right, right, right. Okay. All right. Cool. And you have another one here. Another another real surprise that I'm sure nobody on this show knows about. Yeah, this is this would be like a whole show in and of itself if we really wanted to step into it. But the first teaser trailer for Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, as the official title is revealed by here. And uh, it looks pretty interesting. Um, J.J. Abrams, back of the helm, uh, kind of seems like he is wildly, rapidly undoing everything that Ryan Johnson did in The Last Jedi. It's a, uh, you know, even the title has, has spurred a lot of discussion of, of what that means. And uh, at the very tail end, we hear the deep, cackling tones of one Ian McDermott. No, that's, Emperor that's definitely, uh, to me, it sounds like um, like um, Mark Hamill. No, it, it is McDermott. They confirmed it. He actually came out on stage mm. at uh, Celebration. No, I saw that. I watched it live. I watched I watched the the thing live and and uh i saw him do his you know roll run it again thing but to me it sounded like mark hamill as a joker you know yeah no no it's been confirmed it's mcdermott right yeah so speculation abounds it looks like it'll be cool they have a new um a new droid by the name of dio who looks like a dustbuster on wheels yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) so get your get your merchandising ready let's see how much further star wars goes up the list on uh, on that list we just talked about franchises but uh looks looks pretty cool it seems like there's going to be some interesting things here. Um, I don't know. Any, any thoughts on, on favorite aspects of the of the teaser or, or WTF moments? The title. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to break down in that title. And it is, it's, it's, it really is a teaser trailer, right? They, you know, a bunch of hard cuts. They only show you about, you know, five or six different sort of scenes. You get a little taste of, you know, characters and stuff. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, there's not a lot to unpack there. I mean, obviously the big sort of scene they focus on is Ray versus someone coming at her or we'll, we'll assume that it's probably Kylo Ren in the uh, mm-hmm. in the in the Tie Fighter. Uh, mm-hmm. She does her super kung fu flip over the top of it. Um, you know, pretty dramatic. Um, I do love the like the cinematography of it is beautiful. Like it looks like a J.J. Abrams. You know, uh, he does really have an eye. Um, no lens flare, very impressive. Um, well, no lens flare that we tell. Not so far. Coming not later, so, right? Yeah, not so far. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, it's really. It's it, you know. It definitely whets the appetite. It makes you want to see more, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, you know, uh, other than that one scene at the very end of the trailer where they sort of come over the rise and you see what looks like a huge chunk of former Death Star, uh, mm-hmm. and then you hear McDermott's laugh. Um, that was the really the only part that was sort of, for me, that, you know, captured my imagination. The rest of it was just sort of, you know, 
what to be you could expect from a trailer, from a teaser trailer. Um, but unpacking where that is, what it means, um, because they did follow it up a couple of days later by saying uh, the emperor is dead. They they made a point of clarifying that it's not. They're not saying the emperor is alive. Um, so I don't know what that means. If we hear his laugh and we see the Death Star and we know that this is the ninth and final installment of the saga, what are we supposed to take from that? Is it like finally in the in the J what's her name J.K. Rowling's kind of final sense? You know. Well, I, they, they already had a, they more follow up this week. They had more. Uh, I think it was yeah. Kathleen Kennedy basically said like just because this is the end of the Star Wars uh, Skywalker saga doesn't mean you're never going to see these characters again. So right, right, you know, again, it is. I think what they're saying is this is sort of the end of this sort of bridge series that sort of connects the you know the the Ray and you know uh, her story and Finn and Poe to the legacy series of Leia and Luke and Han and Chewbacca. I think what we're probably can expect in the next iteration is probably, you know, no more ties to the past. We're not going to see more Billy D. Williams. We're not going to see more, uh, you know, those legacy characters because we, we don't have to, right? Yeah. I'm not really looking forward to more of that anyway. Um, I mean, Billy D. Williams, that is. But um, so I want to ask you a question, though. This is for the panel. And that is, do you think, I mean, I think it's unquestionable that the Star Wars teasers and trailers are often better than the movies. Right? Yeah. Do you think, do you think that, I mean, I mean, hopefully we're not running into a little, another set of disappointment. Like, I, I, again, I've never, I, there isn't a Star Wars movie I don't like, right? Um, but, you know, some are better than others, obviously. But uh, but what do you think about this trailer as it stands up against other Star Wars trailers? Is it, I mean, it's it obviously enticing everybody's appetite for watching this movie, right? Well, we like, should clarify, too, this is this is a teaser versus a proper full-length trailer. Sure, like, this but, isn't but even plot. still, I mean, like, if you take the first couple of teasers from Phantom Menace, they were awesome. They were great. And, and, <laughs> and I mean, awesome, like a moon landing not awesome like a hot dog but um sorry tammy the uh the and and even the the full trailer for the phantom menace was way better than the movie right you know because uh, when you got into it there was there was just parts that fell flat on their faces right and i can't remember the other trailers for the other the two prequels but you know they always seem to have a good a good trailer i mean may, uh, is it because we're so tied into this universe that even just a little hint is enough to to you know get us all you know get the endorphins flowing and stuff or what do you think I think it's also to do with the fact that we don't have to hear any terrible George Lucas dialogue in in some of the circumstances, and you know, I think it's it's hope, right? This is what this whole franchise is built on. Right, right. We have hope that the next one will be the next great one. Um, you know, obviously, you're way more um, you're way more invested in this than I think a lot of us have sort of lost a little bit of our luster over the years on on some of these things. Um, you cannot in any way defend uh, Attack of the Clones to me. I'm sorry, that is just a dreadful movie it is, it is oh come on the scenes with Obi-Wan no, Kenobi were good th- that is it's 20 minutes of good movie mixed into an hour and 40 minutes of just almost unwatchably bad movie mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, but you're right I mean when you see that stuff and you just see the visuals and you're taken into that world and you're immersed in it and you see lightsabers and you see you know and, and you aren't into the mire of it but you're just into the the hope of it's going to be a great thing it, it, absolutely 
you know, when I saw this trailer for the first time last week, uh, you know, you do, you get the shivers up your spine. You're like, oh man, look at that. You know, the, the imagery, the, the music, the, you know, the John Williams score, the, you know, all of that just immediately hits you in all those feels. But the problem is, is that, you know, you know that that other shoe is coming and, you know, I wonder it's how I'll feel. Your head too, I, yeah. I wonder how I'll feel in December if I'll be like, wow, that totally, you know, lived up to everything that I built up in my head. The, I think somebody, I, I don't know if I was reading on a blog or if I was listening to a podcast about this the other day. And the observation was that the problem is, is that we build up in our heads what these things will be. We are offered a teaser and we build up in our heads. Oh, that could mean this. That could mean this. And if it doesn't deliver on all, all of our expectations, then we're disappointed. But that's our problem, not their problem. The problem right, is, right. is that in a world where everyone can share their opinions so readily, it is their problem, even though, you know, they're, they're doing amazing work. It's just not what everybody builds up in their heads. So I don't know how you can overcome that. How can you overcome the hype? The problem is, is that, you know, with Star Wars films, how do you overcome that? It's, it's- See, this is it's an interesting point that you, men- you mentioned about that. Because, I mean, when I was that 17-year-old kid having just seen Star Wars, in fact, I saw, you know, the, the Tribute magazine or whatever it is that comes out before, you know, that you, it shows you what movies are coming out in the future. And they weren't as well-written as they are now. And they weren't like sort of, you know, E.T. kind of, like, I mean, every Entertainment Tonight kind of like present as they are now but i remember seeing this the scene where darth vader arrives on the death star and and all the stormtroopers are lined up and it's just a still picture that was enough to get me to see star wars when i was 17 right yeah and then i spent the rest of the weekend because we didn't have the internet we didn't have twitter we didn't have social networks and we didn't have the sort of water cooler opportunity to sort of talk about this thing i remember spending the weekend trying to convince my friends to go see this movie you know and they were all sitting on their couch going oh i don't know we have to go all the way down town to see it and you know blah 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 right and of course they were all blown away the minute they saw it right but um and you know you were quite young when you and Jaime I'm sure you you weren't even born when 77 right (laughs) that's correct (laughs) right but uh you know so you know we we talk about I've talked about this with some of my senior developer friends and senior IT friends that you know trying to find information back in the 70s and 80s and even 90s was early 90s was was tough I mean you if you didn't if it wasn't presented to you, if you couldn't find a bookstore that had a subject on it, if you didn't go to the library, you just didn't know about it, right? Yep. yep. I, re- I remember very vividly, I was, you know, a Star Wars fan from being very little, three, four years old. I saw the first movie um, and then subsequently Empire. And I lived off those first two movies and waited uh, yeah. for, for yeah. Return of the Jedi. I remember, Star- you remember Starlog Magazine? Starlog Magazine mm-hmm. came out in 1982 and on the cover was the scene that you see at the very beginning of Return of the Jedi, which is the second Death Star being constructed. But they presented right. a few images from that in this magazine without context. They didn't explain what was going on. And so I remember for, you know, nine months before that movie came out, speculating with my friends, is that the other Death Star that didn't completely blow up? Are they building a new Death Star? That was, I mean, we lived on that photograph for months because that was yeah. all that was and available. And your imaginations are making up a story in your absolutely, head, Absolutely, right? absolutely. It was, well, maybe they didn't actually blow it up the first time. Maybe it only blew half of it up and the other half 
have to like escape through a warp tunnel or something, you know, your mind just goes wild. Well, that's what we're doing now. Everybody's watching this little, you know, what was it? It's not even two minutes, this trailer we just saw for, for uh, Rise of Skywalker. And everybody's built up in their mind. Oh, okay. So we saw some of the Death Star. So this is what this must mean. And then we hear Ian McDiarmid as the Emperor. So this is what this might mean. And, you know, everybody's got their interpretations and breakdowns. And, and by the by the hundreds online, there's speculation of people talking about what they think it's going to mean. You know, if it doesn't live up to your expectations, how are they responsible for that? But yet they'll take the blame. Yeah. Well, they won't take the blame from the box office, right? Because we'll still line up. We'll still fork over our $20 or whatever it is to see this thing. You know, in my case, I'll probably, if it's a good movie, I'll watch it twice, right? Mm. Um, or more, right? But um, yeah. What do you think, Jaime? I, I definitely understand a lot of what you guys are saying. Um, having been burned many times over this franchise's life, um, but still like a drug addict who like just waiting for another taste. <laughs> it's a really weird, uh, dissonant place to be. I think I'm very excited for this. I'm not going to overhype it in my mind, given, you know, the past things that have happened. I think I'm going to go in and enjoy it. Um, and I can kind of predict that, uh, you know, later this year we'll be saying, wow, it was really good. It was a little too derivative or a little reminded us a little bit too much of X, Y, and Z. Um, and it could be from their own series. It could be from other series, but we'll say generally good. I think that that's probably where we'll end up with, with all of this. Yeah. Do you think it'll, it'll, it'll have shades of Return of the Jedi um, that, you know, in, in the sense that, you know, Force Awakens and, and um, what's the second one called? <laughs> uh, the Last the Jedi? Second, yeah, the, yeah, The Last Jedi. They, they both sort of borrowed from their counterpart movies, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back, which, of course, they failed on, according to you guys. But, you know, do you, do you think they'll still have those kind of reflections in this movie? I think so. Although I'm kind of curious, like, on paper, you would say, oh, there's only so far they can go because there is no Emperor Palpatine person, right? Uh, so, Palpatine uh, is dead. Back me up here. Snoke is dead. Catch me, up on, catch me up on that. Like, you guys said he's dead. So how did... How does he die? Is it because Darth Vader throws him down the chute, or what? What's the story? Yeah, I, I think the expectation would be that he gets pitched down the the chasm in uh, when Vader turns on him, and uh, it's hard to imagine how he survives that. Now, I will walk you guys into the delightful world of the Star Wars expanded universe, wherein in the comic books and in the books, uh, he doesn't die when that happens. What happens right, is right. that he transfers his consciousness into a series of clones and comes back. Um, mm. so that was the storyline that they took there. The question is, will they, will we see anything like that, uh, happen here where they can say right now, Oh no, Palpatine's dead. And that's their way of absolving themselves. But in some other way he's lived on. So, right. right. Yeah. I, I mean, even, even to, to Jonathan's point it, in a more direct case of like, Oh look, he's alive for these reasons or in a, Oh, there's like, um, a hologram thing, you know, thing of him, a little AI that Ha, 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 laughing at you know whoever has has come to plunder the remains of the Death Star sort of thing like like in his boudoir he's got a little a little mm -hmm. gem for people to enjoy. Um, I will point out as some folks the the, the crazier theories online have pointed out that um, we never actually see him die on the Death Star. Right, um, right. You know he doesn't like melt or anything. He gets pitched down the tunnel the uh, the shaft you know the pit and then we see this big you know like energy wave sort of thing come up which doesn't necessarily mean he's died. Maybe he's so 
awesome that towards the tail end of that thing, he, you know, Avatar, the last airbender, <laughs> stops himself from hitting the very bottom. And yeah. then, then you'd have to decide, does he die or not when the Death Star itself explodes? Well, and, true. I mean, Luke Skywalker doesn't die when he falls down the chasm in, in uh, Empire Strikes Back. And, and Darth Maul doesn't die when he falls down the chasm in Phantom Menace. But before we go to that... Um, right, right. But, but, but the community, you know, so if you go down this crazy route, I would have to say, well, maybe the way this trilogy ends is, you know, uh, not dead Palpatine gets shot in the back by who else did we not see die in that very same sort of way? Mr. Han Solo, who also oh, right. wrote out the chunks of, oh, of, of Starkiller right. Base. Yeah, you could also just say that that's a storytelling method that the Star Wars franchise employs so they don't have to show dead bodies. Oh, that's true. That's true. Indeed, indeed. I mean, even Maul is canonically alive. Spoilers for uh, Solo, yeah, I guess. Yeah, because he comes <laughs> right. back in the sequels, right? Or the, the well, He the comes back in uh, in Clone Wars, and then right. from Clone Wars, he comes back into, uh, spoilers, Solo. Yes, right, right. But is that same, so, but Solo is before? Solo oh, right. yeah, would be after true. Clone Wars, but by... But, uh, yeah, before Rogue One, yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. There was something else I was trying to think about Star Wars, but we'll come back to it. Because we're actually supposed to talk about, you know, other franchises tonight. Let's start with Star. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we move on um, to other things? Yes. Yeah, so uh, the next thing in the in the, the headlines is for me is uh, that uh, there's been a petition going around and uh, for a... a Captain Pike spinoff to come out of uh, of this uh, latest uh, things and and Jonas has pointed out too that that uh, I, I saw on Twitter that Ensign Mount had replied that he was flattered by this. What did would you have to add to this, John? Yeah, there's so uh, the story you're mentioning is that uh, yeah people have been actively saying you know they really enjoyed it. and I think you, the three of us agree. I think uh, Ensign Mount was fantastic as as Christopher Pike, probably the best mm-hmm. realized version of the character, and uh, I think a lot of people responded to that and said you know hey you've built this lovely new set. Why why don't you go ahead and make that into a series, even if it's a mini series? Like, tell us a little bit more about the Captain Pike, you know, Enterprise years. Um, and so, there's a story uh, online as of I think it was yesterday that uh, Anson Mount originally, when people were talking about, you know, hey, we should start this petition, and he was saying, well, thanks very much. He said, you know, uh, you know, logistically, it would require a little bit of um, trying to figure out how they could do that. But he did say that he did like the idea that. That, um, you know, and the idea of doing a series set on the Enterprise with Pike and Spock and number one, uh, he said, I'd love to see that too, but doing that, I'm not sure. He laughed. Uh, it's not an easy show to shoot. The reason we shot for eight months for 14 episodes, that's snail space. That is long, but I don't know anything that you don't. So he's not saying, he's not ruling it out. Um, but yeah, it's, it sounds like he's sort of interested in the idea. And, you know, obviously we know how Spike's, uh, like how Pike ultimate fate plays out um, you know any Star Trek fan with their salt knows how that plays out what, he goes off and plays Jesus in a movie is that what he does that's pretty much how it goes yeah uh, but the flip side of that is that you know uh, there's still probably lots of stories you could tell and you know I, I was struck by it again tonight and we'll get obviously into our review of the uh, the season finale of Discovery later on but that set they've built is beautiful and mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. and his portrayal is great and uh and the portrayals of all those other characters and the, the world that they've built uh, to tell, you know, even if they did, did it as a miniseries or a season or two or just to sort of fill in some blanks, I think it's a very rich world for them to get into. And I think there would be a very popular response to that. Yeah, for sure. Rise of the Resistance. I think I forgot to put my link in here. Oh, this this came out of, oh, Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, so I was watching Star Wars, Star Wars Celebration starting last Friday when I, like I 
as I mentioned, we were watching uh, during our lunch break the uh, the uh, rollout of the new trailer or the teaser, I should say. Um, but they also showed a, um, a rise of the resistance on the in the um, from Disney parks. They showed the making of it and all that kind of stuff, and the new the new park and how you can go experience this. And they sh- they had a whole section on that in, in the Star Wars Celebration. I'll have to find a link from YouTube that that can service this. But uh, that was kind of interesting stuff too. I don't know if you guys saw any of that stuff at all. You can actually role play different parts of of Star Wars stories no? as part of the experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'll have to, I'll have to find a link and put it in here. I, I guess I didn't copy. I was probably watching it when I pasted it as an idea for the, for the, the show. But uh, I'll get a link and put it in there for for people transporting at home. Yeah, it was all kinds of interesting news out of uh, out of celebration that was really interesting. And then they started talking about. I, I noticed your next note. There's a whole bunch of uh, exclusives mm-hmm. that came out of that. So what, what did you have there? Well, so uh, they had a bunch of Coca-Cola executives came on. They they showed a commercial as part of the experience thing where um, they had these uh, like uh, little orbs with with uh, you know caps on the top and and sort of water bottle looking things, um, and they had sort of Star Wars type fonts on them. And it was clear it, it was obscure enough but clear enough that you could tell it was Coca-Cola and you could tell it was Dasani because that's their their line of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're rolling out these Coca-Cola and Dasani water or products for people to, to buy. And initially I thought it was going to be through this experience thing, but no, they rolled them out. And they even have these these cool red t-shirts with the Coca-Cola logo on it in the sort of, I forget what they called it, but they had a, they named they named the, the style of writing, uh, but it says Coca-Cola in the sort of Star Wars looky thing. And they gave everybody who was at, the, at that particular panel in the audience, they gave them each a ticket to get a free t-shirt when they walked out the door. So hmm. I was looking online to see when the, if these are going to be available for consumers to buy because it's kind of a co- int- really interesting looking swag. You know, you walk into a party with one of these things on and people will go, hey. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> and here's a link in the show notes about the uh, an article that covers it and shows the, the bottles and, and, uh, and the two, the Cokes, the Coke Zeros and the Dasanis. So. Yeah, I saw they announced that there's going to be a whole bunch of exclusive stuff, part of that Galaxy's Edge stuff. They um, mm-hmm. announced part of the new toy line that's coming as well. So I have in the past collected some of those um, six-inch uh, Black Series figures that Star Wars and, and Hasbro have put out, the rather um, much more intricately designed um, mm-hmm. sort of deluxe Star Wars figures that usually go for about 20 or $25 a piece. Uh, they announced that as part of Galaxy's Edge, you're going to be able to buy uh, three different multi-packs with exclusive characters only available if you go to the park, um, which is kind of interesting too. So wait for the secondary market to hit the wall on that one pretty fast because I'm sure the uh, the speculators will be in there buying them by the dozens and selling them on eBay. But uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting how they're you know I mean we knew this was coming obviously when they announced they were doing a park, but uh, smart idea to build in exclusives, not mm-hmm. just uh, you know not just what you'd expect you know go in and buy a toy lightsaber and buy a uh, you know a commemorative cup, but they're actually saying if you want this exclusive thing you have to come to the park. That's that's pretty smart. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Yeah. So our next one, our next story ties into I think our, we are going to talk about Game of Thrones first episode of, of uh, season eight today, right? Aren't we? Yeah. 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 Okay. So this is, well, this ties into, and, and, and I don't know, we, we've kind of hinted around the way that we all kind of consumed, um, at least the two of us here invented around, around the way we saw Game of Thrones in, in the early, early days. Um, 
but you know, because you know, I, I think back then too in Canada, it was semi legal to download for your own personal consumption, right? Yeah, we uh, didn't have the same uh, legislation the United States had for the longest time. So uh, right. it, up until about two years ago, our rules were a little bit different, so that if right. you weren't uh, resharing, it was it was permissible in its way for you to do that. Right. So, but that changed. That law changed. You know, I think thanks to I'm going to blame Mr. Harper. I don't know uh, if it's really him, but but they changed the they called it the Canadian Copyright Modernization Act that came out and, and changed it because I remember that if you had downloaded, for instance, Game of Thrones was one particular franchise that would would definitely go go after looking for you. But if you had downloaded a an episode of Game of Thrones, for instance, you might get a letter from an email from your internet provider telling you that you had been spotted, you know, down, downloading one of these or participating in a torrent for these uh, these things, and you would get a cease and desist letter. And yep. that was kind of sort of where it went. This is probably going back two, three years ago, right? Oh, even well, more than that, yeah. Yes, but now uh, this story just came out uh, a day or so ago uh, for, out of our uh, Nova Scotia office of CBC saying that the film studios are now able to send you a lawsuit letter, even with, even with your address as John Doe, because the because of that modernization act, the, um, the government has uh, asked uh, internet providers to keep track of which households are using which IPs on which particular days, and if they can match that up with a BitTorrent record, they can send you a letter and sue you for up to, I believe, $5,000. Mm-hmm. And uh, to follow this, so there's a link in, in the show notes on the article from CBC about this, about how they're they're able to, to uh, charge you. And of course, you know, like like even if it's your son downloading the thing, you as the household homeowner will get will get. Uh, charged again and in even and people are arguing well it doesn't have my name on the lawsuit but apparently uh that's not that's not uh not required yep. in this particular case and there's another link i have here from a guy who calls himself privacy lawyer on on uh, twitter and he's published a, a bunch of uh things he is a practicing canadian lawyer um and he's posted an article here about these uh, he says a torrent of lawsuits are descending upon canadians using online file sharing um which is interesting because you know i i, I even get legitimate software packages through BitTorrent, which so I kind of wonder about this this whole thing. But um, yeah, so if if you're in the if you're going to watch uh, Game of Thrones and you're not doing it through legitimate means here in Canada anyway, I think you should be be wary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I saw the story earlier and the, I had the same reaction. Obviously, uh, you know, I think most Canadians have had the experience over the last decade of getting one of those cease and desist. You know, hey, you downloaded this song, you downloaded this mm-hmm. a film or TV show. Uh, you know, don't do it again but there really wasn't a lot of heft behind it this one they make a point of saying uh even if it just addressed to a john doe or even if it's uh not specific that the they can have a a a judgment ruling against you and actually start to um garnish your wages or put a lien against you uh even if you don't respond to it so this is a legitimate uh concern um it did make me wonder though the one thing that this article doesn't really get into is the idea of using um uh, VPN, right? Like, is this something that could be obscured by VPN, or um, is this something that you know, uh, you know, is a VPN an acceptable a method for avoiding this kind of concern if you are still trying to consume Im- um, information this way? Do you want my IT guy answer, or do you want my Tim answer? Uh, well, I'd like both. <laughs> I believe if you use v- VPN, you can probably mask this activity. Yeah, yeah. Not that but- we're in any way advocating that to our audience. No, but I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, 
the ultimate reason for for doing this kind of tracking isn't isn't for pissing off the producers of Game of Thrones. It's about things like crime, organized crime, pornography, you know, human trafficking. That's what they're trying. That's why they try to keep track of of these these things. And I'm sure dollars to donuts that those type of people, you know, pornography or porn porn rings and and uh, tra- human traffickers and and uh, organized crime. I'm sure they're using torrent software or sorry VPN software as well. So I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, but th- there has to be there has to be some. You know, in the in the world of of internet technologies, there's always a way to to fingerprint the person you know who's the ultimately making the traffic. The whole idea behind VPN is it allows you to tunnel into out of basically like a gopher. You can tunnel and come out somewhere else. You know, so you're away from your geographic location. But I think in at the end of the day, they probably could go back and and you know forensically go back and and trace who is doing what to whom. Yeah. You know, even though it's that the, the, the transaction is encrypted right so yeah what's the state of affairs right now on this kind of stuff in the states right now Jaime? i don't know that people are sending out individual ones anymore i think it's more for the larger sites and at torrents get a little interesting because then you have to try to figure out who's posting them and everything um it doesn't seem quite as uh draconian as they're going here for measures and i don't know if that's a reflection of changing um government policies and procedures or if that's just a change in how the MPAA and others have, you know, been focusing their attention on like, hey, look, streaming is really successful. If we make it easy for people to give us money, turns out they will give us money. Yeah, and I, and I don't, yeah, well, I don't that, know. That's, that's, that's the other that's side of it, right? Is I think that I think the, the there probably was more active activity, you know, in the early Napster days and early BitTorrent days for people to do this kind of stuff because it wasn't readily available to get stuff, right? And you know, now that now that it is, you know, we've got the Netflixes, we've got the Hulus, and we've got the you know CBS all accesses in Canada and the United States and, you know, HBO and things like that. So the only thing, again, is annoying. I was talking to a friend because, you know, Jonathan was saying that, that he's annoyed that, you know, we don't get the same content at the same time in the States. A friend of mine had gone into the U.S. and found that he couldn't use his, his Netflix account or his, or no, his, his HBO account to watch Game of Thrones while he was in the States. Yeah. Because I mean, even it, though he had a legitimate service from Canada, he couldn't get, he couldn't stream the It's geoblocks, the yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is a funny thing. I mean, it, part of the campaign that's come out this year. I mean, Crave, uh, which is uh, one of our streaming services here that integrates what would be on HBO now and HBO Go in the United States. Um, part of their marketing campaign for Game of Thrones this year is, you know, hey, do yourself a favor, watch it live. We'll put it up the second that it goes up live around the world. We're not delaying you. We're not messing you around. This is, you know, and it's reasonably affordable. I would say all things being equal um you know this is the first time you know we're we are 10 years and eight seasons into game of thrones this is the first time that's actually been convenient for the for the average person to watch hbo in canada where it's not a huge amount of money and it's not a huge uh uh you know like before you had to have the movie channel subscription it was a very expensive package um your online services for that were very weak um you really you were sort of hamstrung into like 
you got to watch it on TV and you got to watch it when it's on and, 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 and. Now they've made it more affordable and they've made it easier to access. So, you know, I think that what they're saying is like, listen, we've made it easier for you. So stop screwing around and pay for this or we're going to come after you. Yeah. So it's funny because we, we talked about this two years ago on More Than Just Code because, I mean, Apple started the ball rolling when they rolled out HBO Go onto Apple TV because um, we were all joking about it at the time. Remember, remember, Jaime, we were saying that, you know, how many people are going to go get the subscription and then as soon as uh, they finish consuming um, Game of Thrones, cancel their subscription, right? Remember we talked about that? Yeah, yeah. And I'll be, I'll be doing just that. So I signed up for HBO Now. <laughs> and if the Verge article that I read prior to doing that is correct, I think with the seven-day free trial and then the billing cycle that begins after that, I'll end up only paying the single charge, just the fourteen ninety nine wow. one, assuming I end it on the you know, very tail end of the last Game of Thrones episode. Right. And because it's only like six episodes, right? So yeah. I think they, they timed it out and they, they calculated out where that would be. And in the meanwhile, I'm catching up on Westworld season two because I hadn't seen that. Right. Oh, cool. That's on there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few shows on HBO that I, I like to watch that, that aren't. And there's some movies on there too that I've watched occasionally. Yep. All right. So let's move on to the Avengers Endgame. Yeah, so uh, we had this happen last week, uh, or earlier this week, I suppose it was. Um, there is a leak, as is to be expected. Uh, there was a leak of a scene from Avengers Endgame that has hit the internet. And uh, I have not watched it. I don't know. I'll ask you guys, have you seen this scene? No, I saw the just the, the one that was on, we talked about last week was... Uh, the, not the one that was on uh, on uh, Good Morning America. This is a, yeah, a complete no. and full scene from the film. No, I have not seen it. Jaime? No, I purposely avoided it. Yeah, um, so so have I. Oh, the only thing I was going to say is so nobody knows what's in it of the three of us on this panel. Oh, okay, well, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I, so we've all been, you know, very much trying to not spoil it. Um, but this scene has made the rounds and uh, it was, uh, it is going around the socials. If you want to see it, you can probably find it pretty easily. Uh, apparently it is uh, spoiler heavy. It is subtitled hmm. in Arabic and it appears to have been recorded during a screening of the film. Uh, so there are lots of people already looking at if there are breakdowns of how that ties into, you know, stories and there are lots of little things online. So just a warning out there is our public service announcement for Spockcast listeners. Uh, there is a spoiler scene out there. If you want to go ahead and spoil yourself, you go right ahead. Uh, we're not going to talk about it here. Um, the Russo brothers, the directors of the film, uh, have already put out a note saying, listen, don't be jerks. Just, you know, do yourself a favor. You're going to all want to enjoy it the same way. Don't spoil it for other people. Don't spoil it for yourself. Just go watch the movie and, you know, do yourself a favor and, and avoid this. Um, but it is interesting that, uh, you know, the 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 rabidness that the, the fandom is for this film, uh, people are, are uh, really going after this. They really want to know. They really want to see what's happening. They really want to get into it. And they really want to take the time to watch this, you know, one spoiler-filled scene and then dissect the hell out of it, um, you know, with eight days to go before the film comes out. To me, it seems a little wasteful, but um, yeah, it's it's crazy how rabid people are for this. Yeah, I remember during one of the prequels of Star Wars, I think it was the second one, the day before, because I remember standing in line to get into the theater because you, you didn't get assigned seating back then, but I remember the day before uh, the movie came out, the, it had leaked to the internet, the, the whole, you know, Maybe it was so bad they decided might as well leak it anyway, right? But yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it does suck a little bit. Yeah. Uh, other news. So uh, we got news today that Fox has canceled The Gifted, which is uh, one of their uh, uh, 
Marvel tie-in series on television. It is uh, an X-Men series. Um, so they've already done two seasons. So that's, uh, I guess not unexpected. We knew that there was going to be some ongoing casualties now that, uh, you know, uh, there was no longer an affiliation between, uh, you know, Fox television network and, uh, the Marvel properties, not a big surprise. Um, I don't know if you guys have been watching the gifted. I, I watched the first episode and I always intended to go back and watch more, but I never did. No, that was sort of the same, same story here. I meant to go back and at some point in the future, but there's so much to watch, like I said before. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I had it in the background uh, several times but never really sat down and properly watched it yeah again can't say it's a big surprise that that one is a casualty of all this um we got news from the picard series that's coming to cbs all access so this week we got news that there's going to be uh three new cast members and we had some last week i guess we didn't um didn't completely catch up on so Mm -hmm. um we got news this week that allison pill who was uh she's canadian and she's going to be uh she was on um, the newsroom hbo's newsroom show which is fantastic she was a drummer in scott pilgrim and she was she was the drummer in scott pilgrim speaking of the uh ongoing legacy of scott pilgrim uh harry treadway who was on uh Mr. Mercedes and Issa Briones, uh, who is an American crime story, Versace. Uh, they've mm-hmm. all joined the cast, uh, and they're going to be, obviously, Patrick Stewart is the star of the show. Um, and then last week, uh, we got news that Santiago Cabrera, who was in Salvation, Michelle Hurd from Blindspot, and uh, a newcomer named Evan Evagora. Evagora? I mean, if only you could correct me here. Evagora? Let me <laughs> let me see how it's... Sorry, I'd close the link. E-V-A-G-O-R-A. Evagora? Um, uh, have all joined the cast, so so we are starting to get a little bit of a uh, little bit um, of uh, a better picture of what's going on as far as you know the expanded. Um, still, no word about obviously anybody from the uh, established universe of um, of you know Picard being there. Mm-hmm. But uh, cool that we're finally sort of getting a little little bit more development on that series. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so Nico Martin Green could always just just transport into the future and join the series too, right? Well, I think Picard would have to be a lot older. Older if we're going to get all the way to where we uh, we go from there, but we'll we'll get into that in our review of Discovery in a few minutes. A um, <laughs> couple of trailers that popped up as well. Just want to flag for people. We'll put them in the show notes. Uh, we got a first good trailer for the Boys, the uh, Amazon Prime series uh, based on the Garth Ennis and Eric Robertson comic book series, which is disgusting and awesome. Uh, that I highly recommend. Uh, the trailer is. Um, I had heard that they were really going to go very much in line with the way that the the series which is to say pretty over the top and I don't know if you guys have watched this trailer yet but it's really pretty over the top um, there's blood there's guts there's you know superheroes behaving badly it, it looks pretty awesome mm-hmm. yeah it and, had sort of a um, if you remember the Will Smith movie Hancock yes yeah, it had yeah. sort of that, that feel to it yeah, very much so very much so it's, it's basically you know you can't expect you know think about how many people who have gotten famous over the last 20 years on like reality television now imagine if those jackasses had superpowers uh you know what would what would the situation be like if not only was he you know famous but powered and famous uh you know this is what the idea behind the boys is that that these boys take it upon themselves to be the police for the for the supers and uh and it just it does it looks great it looks over the top and i'm i'm really looking forward that's not coming till july unfortunately but uh uh, we'll put up the link to the show uh to the trailers it looks great and we got a teaser trailer for the swamp thing series that's coming to dc all access now this is a pretty 
pretty boring trailer, teaser trailer. It's, it's, we were talking about how good the teaser trailer was for uh, for the, the Rise of Skywalker. Uh, this is like 45 seconds of a guy walking out of the swamp. Uh, but interesting to finally get a look at the character and, and uh, get a sense of what's going on there as well. Hmm. It's like a wet Sasquatch? It, it actually, it, it's, yeah, it's pretty much Damn just looks dog. like a like, uh, guy covered in moss walking out of a swamp. It's, uh, yeah, well, hopefully the show will have a little more to say than that. All right. Okay, so we've gotten to the main part of our show. This time, we've got two, two specials this time, but the, this one is for the Star Trek Discovery Season 2 finale, Episode 14, Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2. I'm going to ask you what about the AKA, Jonathan. <laughs> well, uh, maybe we'll do the AKA at the end because the AKA is really about, uh, you know, we talked about uh, how much griping there had been online about the fact that, you know, oh, well, what about the Spore Drive and how do they explain that and how do they explain all these things that don't exist in the future? And, well, that yeah, was we'll, me, actually. Yeah, yeah so we'll, we'll get back to that. So my AKA was the AKA title for the show should be called This Ought to Shut Up All the Effing Trolls. Because it answers a lot of those questions. All right. Okay. So I'm going to let you guys talk because I, I missed apparently 20 minutes of it, thanks to my cable provider, um, who I pay large sums of money to. I did make a few notes, but I, I I think it was my turn to do the recap, and I, there's no way I could recap this show. Well, you could do all the way up to the last 20 minutes, and then we can we can carry the, the collective team across the goal line. No, I can't really do that. I, like I said, I was I was behind the eight ball starting going into it. I started late because um, the other podcast ran long, and then I've only got got a couple of things here i've got you know follow the queen i leave every i leave very little to chance especially when it comes to revenge leland comes aboard and leap of faith so that's all i got <laughs> why don't you fill it in okay <laughs> jonathan what did you you lead the way on this well, one and then i can help croak around well, okay, well, you sounded so far so 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 good so let's let, yeah jonathan why don't you lead in all right if i uh, if i have to take a break for a coughing fit you guys jump in here i'm uh, still uh, a little under the weather here so here we go uh so uh we pick up right where we left off at the end of last episode, uh, obviously this is sort of billed as a two-parter. Uh, we've got, you know, uh, Enterprise and Discovery surrounded by Section 31 ships. Uh, the preparations, last episode was a lot of table setting. You know, they had armed all the shuttlecrafts. They were ready to defend themselves. The plan is to basically uh, hold off the Section 31 ships long enough for uh, Michael to finish building, uh, Michael and, and the uh, Discovery crew to finish building the suit, getting the time crystal charged and uh, being able to jump into the future and bring the discovery with her. Um, so we learn right off the hop that uh, the only life sign that they can find from the Section 31 ships is Leland Cutis of Borg. Uh, he is uh, he is leading the rest of this stuff on, uh, on uh, autopilot, I guess. Um, they make that great uh, statement where basically they say, you know, we've got you outnumbered, uh, you know, by the time you have all of our armed shuttle crafts and uh, the two of us we've got you outnumbered uh, you know 80 to 30 and he says count again and all of a sudden these little I don't even know how to describe drones, them just Were they drones drones yeah like yeah, uh, sure yeah so basically he says you know count again and these drones all separate themselves from the section 31 ships and all of a sudden there's hundreds or if not thousands of these uh, drone ships that are all poised to attack um, and it turns into this pretty epic uh, you know almost from beginning to the end of the episode 
space battle where uh, the shuttlecrafts and the two ships are basically trying to defend themselves against these attacks. Um, maybe one of the most, you know, uh, long and um, expansive space battles we've ever seen in a Star Trek. Um, oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, if you compare this to the, the original series, you know, they would fire off a couple of phaser rounds and, and some tor- tor- photon torpedoes and they would raise the shields and lower the shields and, yeah, this this was like a completely different universe from a visual point of view, right? It was a lot of explosion, mid, mid, mid-space mid collisions, you know, like of, of armaments and things. So it was very, very exciting. Yeah, yeah, it really, really went on. So, uh, so yeah, as I say, they're, they're racing to finish the suit. They're trying to, uh, you know, uh, keep things going as best they can. Um, the queen, Poe, uh, steals one of the shuttlecrafts uh, for which she claims diplomatic immunity, which made me laugh. Um, and then basically she does an assessment and helps them figure out one of the strategies for trying to keep the uh, keep the drones from destroying them is to uh, attack them two at a time. So uh, she's sort of helping out. So we're getting this sort of multi faceted, you know, uh, attack scene going on as all these things are, are playing out. Um, uh, yeah, so then we end up with um, the crew of Discovery are trying to finish the parts of the suit while Jet Reno is trying to finish the uh, the time crystal charging, which we saw at the end of last episode. She has to try and hurry that up. She has a couple of really, again, she, she really has been a delight all season. Um, she gets a couple of really good lines in there. She has the line about, you know, hey, can you hurry that up? Can you make that uh, time crystal charge faster and she's like yeah i could i could uh you know break the laws of physics oh no wait i can't um and then she basically finishes it and is ready to start running it down to uh to hook it up to the suit and saru says you know hurry up let's go and so she and tilly are headed down there and she says get off my ass i mean get off my ass sir um yeah. pretty yeah. funny pretty funny stuff again she's she does get some great lines in um, so as they're building this suit and they're trying to get this you know, underway, it's it's chaos. The ship's being attacked. Discovery is taking on heavy damage. Uh, Enterprise is taking on heavy damage. We're seeing you know all kinds of consequences across the ship. We're getting reports of people getting killed. Uh, we're seeing you know debris going flying. Um, and then uh, as they're building the suit, they're trying to get it to the shuttle base so they could launch it. Uh, the core group of uh, of Discovery crew. Uh, I don't. I'm not not sure what what is it that detonates above them is it something that actually comes through or is it just an explosion i can't remember i think it was just like a some armaments or whatever yeah i think there's just there's an explosion basically above them and everybody gets sort of knocked on their butts but everybody Mm -hmm. sort of picks themselves up spock's got some blood on him burnham gets a little bit but the person who got the real wallop is stamets Mm -hmm. um so stamets is sort of covered in blood and they go "Uh oh and so they drag stamets off to uh tilly grabs stamets and drags him off to take off to sick bay um they drag the rest of the the group goes to uh to the shuttle bay bay and uh they dress up iron burnham she gets to try on her suit for the first time uh doesn't look exactly like her mom's it's not red it's it's silver um and she uh yeah she's getting all you know ready to go out there and and and, uh become iron burnham um meanwhile leland the uh under the uh, under the control of control beams aboard the ship and we start seeing Burnham's vision from the last couple episodes and the same one that Jet Reno has. Uh, 
has coming true where he beams onto the bridge. He starts shooting at people. He locks himself into, uh, I don't know if that's the captain's ready room that he locks himself into. Um, to network room. <laughs> yeah. I don't, it, it's, it's not clear where he locks himself in, but he locks himself in there to try and extract the sphere data, which is what this whole thing has been about. He wants to, uh, as we mentioned in previous episodes, he wants the sport data, uh, sphere data because the sphere data will help him, uh, become, uh, you know, self-realized or whatever it is he's trying to accomplish. Um, we see the attack on the bridge, people are getting shot. Uh, and then we see this, uh, the photon torpedo that was in, uh, Burnham's vision and Jet Reno's vision. Uh, the photon torpedo comes in, it lodges itself into the, into the main, uh, part of Enterprise, but it doesn't detonate and it's just lodged in there. Um, Cornwell, Admiral Cornwell and number one go down to try and see if they can figure out what to do about that. They go in and uh, try and work on that. Um, and things are going pretty badly. So, you know, Leland's on board, this photon's on there, the vision's coming true, uh, things are going pretty badly and, you know, both Discovery and uh, Enterprise are taking poundings and it's not looking good and then, of course, then comes the turn of the tide. Uh, all of a sudden, Ash comes to the rescue. So uh, we knew at the end of the uh, last episode, he sort of said, I gotta go do a thing. He shows up and not only has he got the Klingons there to join in the in the fight, but he's brought uh, the Kelpians in Ba'ul ships. Um, so Sorana, Saru's sister, is there to to join the fight. And uh, so yeah, we get this sort of like turn of the tides. You know, they're there to try and, try and you know, save them some more time. Um, uh, so then, back on Discovery, Leland is in there trying to figure out how to access the sphere data. Uh, the Emperor, Georgiou, and Nan are trying to bust through the door to try and get at him. They finally break through the door, and uh, they have that great line. They call him an AI sausage, which I thought was a great way to describe that. Um, they bust in there, and uh, they... Uh, Start fighting. Yeah, they basically start a fight with him. Um, we peg back up with uh, Stamets in the medical bay. He's in a bad way. Um, Tilly has to take off because she's got work to do. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember, what's the name of the bridge crew officer, the one who's was with her, um, the one who's played by our Canadian friend? Oh, Lieutenant, yeah. Nielsen? She's there. Nielsen, Nielsen that's right. Yeah. Very good. Nielsen. Yeah, Nielsen, yeah. Um, is there, and they're basically, you know, the sick bay is a mess. There's blood everywhere everywhere. People are really in a bad way. Uh, Stamets is sort of fading in and out, and all of a sudden he sees Hugh's face and is surprised because Hugh had already said he was leaving, he was going to, to Enterprise. Hugh basically says, you know, you know what, I was there and I realized that, you know, this is stupid, I shouldn't be here, I should be with you, you're my home, you're where I belong, I belong with you. Um, so really sweet to see the two of them come back together. I think we all sort of thought that the, the end of last week was sort of the, the farewell for the two of them, so nice that they get that, that little little tag up although uh as we said paul's in a really bad way he's got a big hole in him um and uh so hugh basically says i love you and by the way you're going to be put into a coma now and so that that's it for him um we cut to burnham and spock who are trying to activate the suit and bring the discovery into the future and she can't figure out how to do it it's not working mm -hmm. and finally she figures out oh actually what i need to do is uh is actually well, 
actually... Spock figures it, Spock figures it out. He figures it, it yeah. was her that went back in time and did all those sightings, right? Yeah, that's right. So basically, he says, what if you have to go backwards before you can go forwards? So instead of trying to bring us into the future, you have to go back first into the past, br- light off all of those red flares that we've been chasing throughout the entire of season two uh, that bring us to all these places because those are the situations that those actually line us up. Those are the on the chessboard. So he's saying, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do this if we didn't have Jet Reno. So you had to go back and you had to set off the signal so you could get the Hiawatha, so you could get Jet Reno, so she could help mm-hmm. us with the time crystal. You had to go back and you had to activate the Kelpians because the, the Kelpians can come back and they can help us here. You had to go back and, uh, you know, basically piece by piece, you know, you had to go to Boreth. You had to show us where the time crystals were. You So she's like, yes, absolutely. So she goes through and piece by piece goes to the past and starts uh, activating the red signals. And then uh, we we learned through that that was actually, it was her that um, that Saru saw when he saw the, the clearer vision of, of what the Red Angel looked like. Um, so that was kind of an interesting scene where it sort of, you know, brought the whole season full circle, right? Yep. And then uh, we cut back to the ship and we get this great uh, situation where the gravity is not working properly. So we get this, this weird, like, gravity fight between Nan and Georgiou and Leland Cutis. As- now, before you say that was a scene from Inception... <laughs> I'd like to point out that Fred Astaire did that first in Royal Wedding. Okay, but, you know, it wasn't a fist fight, was it? No, he was dancing with, you know, just dancing. Yeah. But the funny thing is, I was... From point of view, they rigged the whole room to turn around, and yeah. which is kind of cool. Yeah, the funny thing is, I was thinking about the Fred Astaire moment more so than I was the Inception one. Well, good, good. You're obviously a mature audience. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the difference is, they were, like, gravity was switching directions, but it wasn't, like, completely gone, uh, gone as it is in some cases in Inception, right, where they're sort of floating in midair. But it's one of those things that, you know, when every year, every time I've watched, you know, having been a space nut, you know, my whole life, right? Having watched every episode of Star Trek, I've always said to myself, why aren't they floating around? Yeah. You know, why does stuff drop to the floor? How are they doing that? Gra- you know, they're not spinning the ship to create gravity. Like, how are they doing this? You know? Yeah. It's the force. The midichlorians are helping, I guess. Well, they, they mentioned in TNG artificial gravity, but they didn't really talk about the science about it. They just say, we have right. it. Right. Yes. Um... So the fight continues. Uh, Non gets knocked out, right? She gets taken out. uh, But Georgia and Leland basically continue their fight uh, and ends up with uh, Georgia locking Leland in the spore chamber in the engineering department. Right. Right. So this is about the point where where Rogers cut because the last scene I saw was number one and the or sorry, number one and and Admiral Cornwall shaking hands or grabbing forearms or whatever it is. Yeah, so the way that that basically plays out is that uh, as Cornwall and Number One continue trying to figure out what they're going to do with this uh, this photon torpedo that's lodged itself into the uh, into the disc of the uh, the Enterprise, they basically come to the conclusion that you know uh, basically Pike goes down to take Number One's place. He has a look at it, says, "I can't figure out what to do either. I don't know what we're going to do here." And then Cornwall basically says, "I know what we're going to do. I'm going to close that door." and, you know, it's going to blow up and it's going to take out what it takes out, but it's not going to destroy the entire ship. He says, no, let me do it because I know my destiny and it won't happen to me if I'm in there. And she says, but what if you screw up things even worse by changing the future? Um, so an interesting little little time loop paradox there, right? Um, right. So she basically says, I'll do it. He steps out through the door. Uh, uh, they say goodbye. He steps out through the door. She closes the blast door. The bomb 
bomb goes off and Admiral Cornwell is no more. Mm. Um, yeah, I thought this was like this is an area where I was definitely thinking, man, Pike has all the plot armor. Have him go like lay down yeah. on it, <laughs> and, yeah. and it'll like fall out or something. No. Like we know he can't die because he's got his destiny, right? And it sort of uh, will change his whole perspective on how he makes decisions. You know, he should just go wild and run around with scissors. And <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really interesting because uh, you know very few shows are self-aware in the way that this one is where he basically says it straight up. He's like, I, I know what my future is. I can't die here. So why don't I just do this? Which is what every fan watching the show would think. Right. Um, so, and, and, you know, Cornwell says, but what if you're wrong? You know, like how bad could things get if you mess with time like that? And, you know, she's got a point, although she doesn't really let it play out. It doesn't, it doesn't build for a long time, but it's good that they sort of make that reference. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so Burnham comes back from her trip to the past and she's, you know, she set off her red flares. Uh, everything's going to play out the way it's going to. Now she can go ahead and drag them into the future and it's going to play out the way that it's supposed to. Uh, but as we were talking about last week, they had to find a way to keep Spock from going with them. And it turns out that Spock's shuttle is disabled and he can't go with her. So they have a very tearful farewell. Uh, Burnham and Spock, you know, uh, you know, I wish I could go with you. I can't away. Okay. Um, so then uh, we, we cut into that great scene with Tilly. So Tilly has to fix the shields on the discovery before they can go forward. Right. And uh, she says the only way that she can do it is if she does it with her eyes closed, because she, the only way she's ever done it before was with her eyes closed as part of a drinking game. Right. Yeah. And then they cut to her actually fixing it and she's still got her eyes closed. Like she was actually serious. So she does the whole thing with her eyes closed and then finishes it and said, someone owes me a beer. (laughs) Uh, right. That was great. Classic Tilly. Really, really funny. Uh, Mary Wiseman, again, always a delight. Um, so basically, uh, it's all teed up. Spock's not going to go with them. The ship is fixed. They're ready to go into the future. Uh, they cut to Georgiou and Leland, and Georgiou basically says, I have magnetized this spore chamber, and you're screwed. So I would appreciate it if you'd start screaming now. And he does, and then he dies. And then she says, I've killed, like, she basically calls into to everybody and says, I've just killed Leland. Control is taken off the board. You know, we're done. Mm-hmm. My question at this point was, so why do they still have to go to the future? Let's hold that question until we talk <laughs> about the very tail end because I think I have the answer given what they showed us. Okay. So then uh, basically what happens is exactly what you expect to happen. So uh, uh, Burnham opens the time portal. Uh, she goes forward. Discovery follows her. Uh, everybody covers their exit as they go. So uh, the Klingons with uh, Ash still aboard that ship. Um, Spock is beamed back aboard the Enterprise. He's with them. Um, all is as it should be. Basically, the Discovery crew is gone to, in through this portal, and poof, they're gone. Um, then we, here in Canada, have a commercial break. Not so much if you have it at CBS All Access. Uh, and then we come back to, uh, basically, we're in San Francisco. We're at Starfleet Headquarters. It's a debrief. The debrief is going through... Uh, um, Spock and Pike and number one, who still won't, won't give us her name. Uh, and basically all of them are saying, I saw the discovery explode. I saw the discovery explode. The discovery's gone. Discovery doesn't exist anymore. Discovery's gone. Um, and uh, Ash, basically they talk about section 31 and what a mess it is. The fact that control has been taken offline. They mm-hmm. mentioned that uh, George has gone. Cornwell's gone. So Ash gets promoted from acting commander of section 31. So to- wait, where did Georgia go? She's 
she was aboard the uh, aboard the Discovery. Oh, she went to the future. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so basically, they cut to Spock, and Spock says, "You know, this is a big uh, this is a big problem. I have a suggestion, and my suggestion is that in order to prevent this becoming, you know, uh, a big issue, uh, it's now going to be a law. So a new Starfleet regulation is that you can't, if you were part of this mission, you can't ever talk about Discovery or the Spore Drive ever again. <laughs> How convenient. Yeah, which that ties back into my title of the episode, my impromptu title of the episode, which is uh, this ought to shut the trolls up because basically, you know, all along we've talked about it. It's been on any number of blogs and, and social media posts over the last two years. Well, if they had this spore drive, why don't they talk about the spore drive? Well, if there was this ship called the Discovery that was integral. Why don't they talk about the Discovery? Well, if there's all these different things, well, okay, now we know. Uh, so apparently uh, at Spock's behest, they make it a, basically a Starfleet regulation that you cannot talk about Discovery. First rule of Discovery is you can't talk about Discovery. Right, right. Uh, then we right, do this. Before we move on from this one, because this is where we come back to your question of why do they still go to the future? Yeah. The way that they film this particular debrief, right, of everybody lying and saying that the Discovery was destroyed, mm. right? Every, every person from uh, Pike to Spock to uh, to number one, whose name is apparently number one, because they don't yeah. go any further to disclose that. Um, and Spock's, like, on the surface level, insistence of like, oh, you know, to make sure that um, control never comes to be in the way that we saw it. Like, one, hey, you guys totally destroyed control, right? Oh, yeah, sure, sure we did. Yeah, we completely wiped it off all all uh, servers and stuff that we had. And then Spock's insistence that, like, yeah, we, we need to make sure that nobody ever talks about this to really, really make sure that um, nothing can, can come of this and that there is no uh, potential future where control still becomes the um, domination and destruction-based AI that they had worried about. And the way they film these particular debriefs is very dehumanizing and kind of, like, menacing the way they show or don't show the admiral that's debriefing them, right? Mm. Like, they show just sort of, like, the lower half, and he seems kind of less than trustworthy. And so I think that's why they said, like, we still have to put this thing into the future. We still have to go with the plan, because you can't leave even the slightest chance of somebody um, messing up somewhere uh, in Skynet, right? This is like the, the Terminator series all over again. We're like, okay, we don't want to just delay what happened before. We want to make sure it never happens. Yeah. So the idea is that they, they can't actually in any way acknowledge that, that what happened with Discovery, because if they do, Control could still find a way. Or Section 31 or whatever. Right. That, that was my, my take on it and why they had to continue on with the plan, even with uh, Leland being destroyed. Because mm. even... Um, What's his face? Uh, crap. The the other crewman from Discovery that they ran into um, just a couple episodes ago. Yes, yeah, like that yeah. dude was yeah, yeah. like still under control, right? Like, who knows if there's like backup copies or something somewhere? So it kind of <laughs> yeah, makes yeah. sense that they have to get rid of the thing that could let control eventually become uh, fully sentient. Yeah, just like Emperor Pal- Palpatine. That's it. <laughs> so the episode basically wraps up with uh, a little solilo- soliloquy from Spock talking about you know. Uh, you know, his sort of his feelings about uh, um, Michael being gone. And then uh, he discovers that he has a beard for the first time, apparently all season, and decides mm. to do something about that. So he shaves off his beard, puts on his proper blue uniform, and uh, joins the crew on the bridge of Enterprise. And uh, as he sits down there, they basically, they get the 
seventh signal, the signal that they've been waiting for, which was the signal from uh, Michael that that she sent back to the past that basically said, we're okay. Oh, okay. And uh, with a twinkle in his eye, basically Pike says, you know, let's, let's, let's continue our adventures. Let's, let's hit it. And they take off and, and that ends season two. So I did uh, say that this was going to end with a pretty, you know, um, mostly wrapped up ending, but still largely a cliffhanger. And I think I was right on this one. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Last week I, I, you know, just finished listening to, um, last week's episode this evening. And, um, you know, we were saying, you know, the most exciting outcome I think for all of us was that, that they do do this, that this actually plays out the way that we were hoping it plays out, that they do go into the far flung future and that, uh, you know, this, this show stops being a prequel, but becomes something else. Um, and that is exciting beyond words to me. Like I am as, as interested as I was in this, you know, I mean, I love Star Trek. I've been a Star Trek fan my whole life. I was in for the show no matter what it was going to be, but that it has become this is so much more interesting to me than if they had continued being a series set 10 years pre-original uh, series, um, that they're going to do something completely radical and different and and go somewhere else is, is absolutely captivating for me. I'm, I'm 100% in on, on changing this direction or, or following through on what they always intended. Which is? Well, I mean, I assume that, you know, it was the intention of the creators of the show to do this and it wasn't just them sort of you know changing course midway through and saying okay well now now it's not a prequel anymore it's going to be this series about you know us going a thousand years into the future i mean you know the reality is is that my frustration with trek as a whole over the last 20 years has been this fascination with going backwards uh i don't i have no objection to the the work that jj abrams and his team have done on the films i have no objection to what they did with Enterprise. I have no objection to what they've done in this series. I think it's all good in its own way. However, I liked that the series were progressively going forward before that. From 1987 to 2000 and... I don't know, you tell me, 2002, 2003, um, to the end of Voyager, it was all about moving forward. And the movies, and, 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 and. And then for the last 16, 15, 16 years, it's all been about going backwards. And I don't think that that is in the spirit of what this show has always been about true yeah true you know and then they run into all these problems again you know we you know, we talked about it here everybody on the show talks about you know oh well if they had a spore drive well how come they, they, you can explain they didn't have a spore drive and they could have used a spore drive to get you know things happening and they could have looked it up here and blah 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 you know i'm just as happy if they keep moving forward they don't have to keep talking about all these retconning things and changing history and all time paradoxes and all this like you don't have to do that anymore you can just go forward that was the best part of tng of deep deep space nine of, of voyager of all these series moving forward was that they were moving forward and you didn't have to explain it as you know oh we have to undo something it was always just about well we just invented that yesterday that's why we have it so i i the idea that we're going to see 1000 years into the future of star trek next season is the most captivating thing i've heard about star trek in 20 years hmm how it plays out, what that means. I mean, now we can speculate, and I, I think we will, uh, how this ties into what we saw on that other short trek where the ship was abandoned and, 
you know, the, the ship has evolved and all these other things. Um, how that all plays out, what it means. So I have a question, though. Yeah. When the, when the day shift is done, who runs the Enterprise or Discovery? Well, so that's the thing that I thought was a little confusing, though, because last episode, it seemed like they were really going down to a skeleton crew. Yeah, like this episode, it seemed like there was many more people on board. Because mm. if you look at the number of people that were like, for example, in the sick bay, and when they started giving in the, the reports of all the people on the different decks that were being hurt or injured or everything else, it seemed like it wasn't like a dozen people. It seemed like it was like the whole crew. Mm-hmm. I, my impression is that the entire crew of Discovery stayed aboard Discovery. Mm. I, I think what we saw in that was that that was the bridge crew. That scene where right. basically they're like, we're all staying. I think that was supposed to symbolize the entire crew is staying. Right, right. Because to me, it doesn't make sense that there were still that many people on board. I was confused at the beginning of this episode for that same reason. I thought, oh, didn't we just speculate that there was, uh, you know, less people on board because they had all said they were staying behind or whatever. I got the impression that that, that was the case. But in this episode, it clearly seemed like there was still dozens upon dozens of people aboard Discovery. Yeah, I, I think in your mind's eye, since they didn't show it in the actual show, just remember that scene where the Discovery you know, sidles up to the Enterprise and then everybody's going across the little walkways. Just do that, but in reverse, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moonwalking walk backwards. Back, yeah. The, the, the uh, connectors unfurl or furling back up. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I mean, now that we have a chance to step back, I mean, it's obviously it's still pretty fresh, but we have a chance to step back from this whole season. What do you guys make of it? I mean, were you happy with the way that it all tied together, that it all, you know, wraps up this way and that we're going somewhere else? Or are you disappointed that we're not going to be uh, in this time span, you know, time era of, of Star Trek anymore? Or what do you think of it? Well, I, I think I've said before that I, I like the fact that they've, they've minimalized the effect of the Klingons, right, in, in this episode, in this series. I mean, they've had, what, three episodes or two and a half episodes that involve Klingons, right? Because, I mean, other, they got the time crystals, yes, and they had this big-ass, I mean, big-ass ship show up in this battle. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless that was just sort of, it was really close to the Enterprise or something, but... Well, I think um, it was supposed to be like Laurel's flagship or something. Yeah, but so they had the, the, the episode with Laurel and Ash about the baby, right? Um, <laughs> and that was pretty much it for, uh, you know, like... Well, and for that. And, and I liked the, the, the play with time and, and how they tied in most of well so did they tie in calypso because the ship's a thousand years in the future now i wonder well that's the question right yeah so and and what about harry mudd we never did get him back in here uh, in this season but right you know I, I i did enjoy it i mean the the whole sort of mystery of the the red angel um i think i think we pretty much called it that it was michael burnham at some point um you know before before the arium episode i think we were kind of thinking it might have been michael burnham weren't you guys thinking that yeah it seemed the most obvious answer yeah yeah, there was like an idea before, and I think it really solidified around the time that they showed that it was a female body. When right, Saru right. probably saw the most up close of what what the actual form was. I think that's where we started talking. Yeah, about and the it. fact that they kept trying to help Michael Burnham specifically, right, or it seemed to be that way. So that it kind of sort of seemed like she was going back and affecting her own past somehow, you know, yeah. to get to where she is, right? Yeah, no, it's it's been a good it's been a good episode or a good series in a season, I think, right? Um, it's interesting. I've spoken to a few people, you know. At 
work and you know around the social socials about this this show um some people haven't even started into it some people watched a couple of episodes of the first season i think the first uh, sorry second season the first season kind of turned a bunch of people off because it had that sort of weirdness with the the you know the the other uh universe and that kind of stuff right um, mm. and it didn't really enter into this one like it kind of you know i think we talked about where's the where's the uh uh terran version of michael burnham we, we don't know where she is right we don't know where the the um federation version of Lorca is either right so whether they'll whether they're conveniently left out so they'll come back later or, you know so yeah it's interesting to see what what they'll do with this but uh but now there's a whole, a whole lot of things i mean like a thousand years into the future is are they going to are they going to seem like cavemen in the new the new federation or will the federation have been you know disbanded and gone and I don't, did you ever read the foundation series when you guys were younger by asimov not all of it right, but you, you remember the the gist of it was that you know um there, well there was a series i think i think so the, there was like the first three books and i think the fourth or fifth book was about them going back to the center of the universe and it was all abandoned and you know that, that society had had you know died off or or left or whatever and it was this you know the library was sort of derelict and and they tried to piece together they were trying to discover the origins of of the foundation which which is they could kind of do in this sort of future they could go back and they could come to san francisco and find that it's abandoned it's a wasteland you know due to nuclear war or whatever you know james cameron and his terminators have taken over or something you know what i mean um and uh so there's all kinds of different ways they could, they could play this this next season out and again just like the trailer for star wars we're kind of wondering you know your your imagination will run wild for the next couple of months until they come out and tell us what they're going to do right so yeah i guess the question is is this the new status quo i mean the idea now is what they've established is that the discovery can't go back right right, right. it can't go back it's the, so season three isn't the voyage home it's not we have to get figure out how to get back because that's not the point right the point was that they're supposed to be gone now and that they can never return so is the new status quo we exist in the uh 34th century 35th century 30 where it was supposed to be 32 33 mm, yeah 33 33 33rd century that's where they uh, went a thousand years or well they went a thousand years into the future and they were in the 23rd century already right mm -hmm. so they're in the 33rd century uh yeah i guess and but they're also in the beta quadrant too right they're not in the alpha quadrant they're in the beta quadrant they do have the spore drive assuming stamets uh, survives the hole that was in him right right oh, okay yeah do they have amazon and skip the dishes in the future i, I mean really how could they not <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, like I say, the, the idea of this far flung a future, um, the question is, is it going to be a, a Starfleet future or is it just going to be them, you know, exploring the universe that far flung into the future? You know, are we going to see Klingons? Are we going to see Romulans? Are we going to see that, you know, world of Star Trek we know, or is this open the door to, you know, this becomes anything we want it to be now? I mean, it's, it really is refreshing. Again, this is the problem I've had with the whole idea of of you know prequels is that you're beholden to a time period where everyone knows what the status quo is you can throw in curveballs like they did for enterprise where they're like oh actually remember how we say we didn't meet the ferengi for another 200 years actually we met them here oh you know borg yeah yeah we did actually meet the borg like okay all right sure you did um you know now that you're a thousand years in the future you can open the door to whatever you want right that's true it's true yeah but i mean what if the whole galaxy in the future is taken over 
over by Borg, right? They, they, they seem pretty much, pretty unstoppable at some point. Um, what if what was that movie with Brendan Fraser where he was raised in a bomb shelter? Blast from the past. Blast from the past. I mean, what if now? That's not, that's what I'm worried about. What these guys are going to go into the future and they're going to be like the the character in Voyage Home who they bring forward with the with the whales. Who what else is she going to do? She she has no no way of of surviving in the 22nd century or 24th century you know of of the current star wars or star, star trek stuff right? and and here these guys are going into 3000 they get, what if they, they seem like brendan frazier in the future right like well to be fair she was a cetacean expert and therefore they didn't really have cetaceans at that period so it would actually be very helpful for that okay, well yeah like her. well I mean, i'm talking more about the brendan frazier character yeah like no you're right like there there would certainly be a, a time cultural differences, but the yeah. idea was that they were they were basically headed for terra Elysium, right that was the goal was oh, that, they, that where they're going okay that was where they were headed was they were going to basically uh aim for terra Elysium a thousand years in the future because that's where her mom was supposed to be so oh, really? oh, the, okay the question now is uh yeah like so our next season is is dr burnham going to be one of the characters is she there what is terra Elysium become with a thousand years of evolution um how does that play into we talked about this before the family of the the engineer that they you know sort of let into the story um you know does that come into play like you know is terra Elysium their sort of home base um you know what is the next piece of status quo for them again it's, yeah, it's, maybe it's the robots just, have taken over and killed all the humans and put them in a cave to save them for later well and maybe they get to a point where you know they you're right they show up a thousand years in the future and something's gone wrong and they have to figure out how to fix that by going more or, timey-wimey or maybe they don't yeah. maybe they you know maybe they just have to figure out you know maybe it's a time travel star uh, star trek series going forward where right. instead of being like right. Voyager, where they're lost on the far end of space, they're lost in the far end of time. Um, yeah. Again, the whole point, though, that I really like is the goal isn't, oh, no, we're lost in the future. We have to go back because they don't want to go back because the whole point is to not go back. That's why right. Spock doesn't talk about Michael. That's why they don't talk mm. about the spore drive. That's why they don't talk about discovery. Well, the first rule of discovery. There is no discovery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Podcast yeah. over. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it has a, like, if, if this was to be the series finale it'd be a reasonably um reasonably satisfying ending it's similar oh, to you mean season... cancel the series like all yeah together? similar to season one <laughs> ended you know pretty satisfying with with like a little bit of a tease a little bit of cliffhanger of like oh what's up with the enterprise um they too do discovery the movie right. <laughs> I, I do think there is enough here that's left open like you know how do they ultimately decide to just like ditch the ship you know that you can have a whole season take place before they decide to leave um zora alone right and you also have the questions of like well what's going to happen with Stamets? Like, is he going to be okay? Uh, are he and Dr. Culber going to be all right? I mean, they, they certainly hinted very strongly at that, right? With the return of Culber. Um, and where the heck does this George O show take place? Does it take place prior to this season of Discovery? Or does she oh, like yeah, somehow right, find yeah. her way back? Because she's on the ship, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, uh, inception level of like crazy conspiracy theories. Maybe she wasn't on Discovery and instead that was a Harry Mud style <laughs> device walking around that look like her that was on discovery wow you that's very me, that's oh, very just deep dude the, yeah just remind me about the star trek the star wars spread that i wanted to bring up but we'll come back to that all right cool either way i think this was uh a hell of a finale um it was a little cacophonous it was 
a little, at times, a little hard to take. There was a lot of stuff happening. Um, it will probably benefit from a second and third watch, especially as a two-parter. Watch the whole thing all at once. No commercial breaks, no... And an understanding of what you're looking at. Um, but yeah, it was a hell, a hell of a finale and a hell of a season. I think, uh, you know, this was definitely uh, uh, a real winner. It's a hell of a thing. They had a lot of uh, a lot of budget for the pew-pew moments. Oh, yeah. The pew-pew. It was all just <laughs> like movie level of yeah. you know, amount of time and, and effort put into the, the battle, for sure. Lots yeah. Explosions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on because we got a, a few more big, long sections to cover here. So I, I moved my, my Game of Thrones uh, um, video that I saw. So I was watching TEDx the other day on Facebook, and, and this came, I saw this before the latest episode of, or season one, episode eight of Game of Thrones came out. Um, and it's an interesting thing. It's apparently, so the War of the Roses, and I don't know if you know the history of them. I didn't really know much. It's actually the Wars of the Roses. It's a typo by me here, actually. Um, so on the TEDx, they actually talk about the War of the Roses, and it's about a king, who a real-life king in England, who died um, after his son died. So his son dies, and then he, then the king dies, and so the heir to the throne is this child, right, who is too young to be king, and his the the the, the the prince who died, his brothers argue about whether they should have been the the actual heirs to the throne, and so they the the, the family has the crest as a rose. And they split off into this red rose and white rose um, family, and one of them is called Lancaster, which is you know the Lannisters, right? And then and there's all these different parallels. There's a character that's uh, you know an evil sister who you know is kind of like the leftover one who should have been you know who should have been in line for the throne, and she has this young you know malicious son you know who could be um, Joffrey, and they go off and do things. And the character that um, emulates or Daenerys is based on was an actual real guy who was raised in France, you know, hidden away as as a child and, and grows up and, and eventually goes back and tries to claim the throne and all that kind of stuff. So it's a really interesting story that, and the way they've, they've presented it here is how they, they parallel the characters in the Game of Thrones, right? So all the different families and stuff like that, right? So there's a Jon Snow type character and, and the whole bit. Um, the only thing that's missing is the Ice Walkers, right? So yeah, definitely if you're interested in Game of Thrones in any way, I suggest you watch this little video. It's kind of an interesting story about based on real life, you know, English history that that led to the inspiration behind the uh, Game of Thrones. So if you follow that train of thought, and yeah. and, uh, and I have seen this speculation over the years as, you know, uh, you know people are, are, are aware of these connections. Um, if you follow this train of thought and you know your history, um, the War of the Roses were, were you know, nasty and bloody. Do, do you recall who ends up on the throne? One of the Edwards or something like that. I forget. But uh, by the way, it's it was a hundred years of, battle, of wars, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty bloody, bloody battles. So I don't remember who at the end, to be honest it, with you. It is who you are describing as the Daenerys character, Edward. Oh, really? Okay. Right. So right. I, I, it is interesting if you if you go through and you um, and you look at this. I think it was Edward the Fourth. If you uh, if you follow along through this, there are a lot of connections and correlations. Um, it doesn't obviously follow strictly. No. It follows no. very no loosely. Dragons. Yeah. No dragons and everything else. But but it is. I mean, it was one of the most bloody battles of uh, for um, who will who will sit on the throne in English history, global history, for that matter. Um, but yes, the person who ends up on it is Edward the Fourth, who was the one who was raised in a foreign country and came and had a claim to the throne, and right, yeah, yeah. and basically was perceived by a lot of people as an outsider, but eventually does become uh, king 
King of England. Um, Reunites the Roses, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so you have to wonder a little bit as we now uh, segue into our uh, look at Game of Thrones Season 8, and we're down to the last six episodes. I wonder if that will continue to play true as, uh, you know, is Daenerys the one destined to be on the throne based on the lessons of history? Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, getting into this one, there was, a, you know, it was basically a lot of homecoming um, bits, you know, um, Jon Snow and Daenerys come back with their with two dragons. Everybody's like, you know, jaws are agape as the dragons are flying over overhead, and they bring the, the Unsully to Winterfell, right? And it starts out actually. The, we probably should go to the very beginning. You know how they have that sort of animated, you know, map at the very beginning of the show. This one was quite different. Every season they've, or every, I think every season, or even mid season, they would they would morph the well every the map. episode. Yeah, every episode it's changed depending on yeah. where they are. Yeah, exactly. But but this one starts with clearly a hole in the wall mm-hmm. and so I, I kind of left with a question of what happened to the Night's Watch are they completely gone now or, or whatever are they scattered um, I think that what was the name of the castle at the, at the uh, East Watch just below the, sorry East Watch East Watch yeah that's they sort of show that and they then they come down into Winterfell and they actually spend quite a bit of time in Winterfell and they go down into the, the crypts and all that kind of stuff um, and uh, yeah and they they show um, uh, Night King's Landing, but they don't really show Dorne or any of those other places because I guess they don't play a part in this particular episode. But so it's interesting that that you know sort of the characters all kind of come together in in um, in, in uh, Winterfell and discuss what's going on. And um, you know we find Sam Tarly finds out about his father and his brother. I didn't make the connection that that was his father and brother that stood up to uh, Daenerys and got toasted for for their effort. Right. Um, so now the question that's left is. Is what does Sam Tarly or how does Sam Tarly feel about Daenerys? And you know, he goes and questions Jon Snow about did you know kind of thing, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he tells him the truth, which is really what this episode, the most important part of this tell, episode. Yeah, he tells Jon Snow the truth. Well, it's actually Bram, you know, our, the, the character we love to hate, meets up with Sam in, in the courtyard because he seems to be hanging out in the courtyard a lot these days. And he well, says, you know, he's, he's got a wheelchair, he's got nowhere to go. Yeah, so he, say, he says to Sam in a sort of cryptic, you know, He's, he's to me he's the equivalent of Merlin, like in a sense, because Merlin was sort of not Merlin was sort of the 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 the, the court magician and alchemist and all that kind of stuff. So he, if you read the Arthur stories, um, they're very similar. He's a very similar role, although he's animate and has doesn't sit in a wheelchair and stuff like that. But he has that same sort of ability to see into the fu- see future and see connections and things like that. But so Bram tells Sam that he should go down, and and I think I, I don't know how Sam. Oh, did Sam read it in a book somewhere, or he discovered something in in the? Well, well Gilly readings? figured it out uh, midway through last season that, oh, um, she? Okay. Yeah. that she was reading a scroll and basically says, you know, what's an annulment? And then right, uh, right. he basically puts two and two together when he meets Bran, and they they put it all together that uh, not only is he because uh, because Brandon Bran thinks that um, that John is a bastard still because right. he thinks that his parents were he knows his, who his parents are. But he thinks that they, they they were not legally wed, and right. then oh, okay. and then Sam through Gilly is the one who actually clarifies. Oh no, you're wrong. Actually, there was an annulment. He set aside the Rhaegar set aside his um, marriage to. Uh, 
to uh, what's her name? No, yeah. he set aside the one to the woman from Dorne that oh, he was originally right, married right. to, and married Lyanna Stark. So he set aside his original marriage so that he could marry Lyanna because they were in love. So not right. only is he a uh, product of that love, but he's actually legitimately their son because so they Rhaegar were married. Targaryen is Jon Snow's father. Yes, and Lyanna Stark, and, who is uh, is uh, and Ned Stark's was brother, uh, sister, Targaryen's niece, right? Uh, so Rhaegar, sibling, I thought Rhaegar was Daenerys's brother. So yeah, but Ra- she was a ba- she was she was born after he died. Yeah, yeah, he was an adult and she was a baby when right. this all sort of came down. He's right. twenty twenty years older than her. Right. right. But yeah, it um, it all sort of all comes together when they figure that out, and then and this is the episode where Bran basically says it's time for you to go have a talk with John, and he says first of all, did you know that she torched my family? And then says, by the way, we put it all two two together here. Your name is Aegon Targaryen the sixth first of your name you are the rightful heir to the throne and John says you know holy crap F that yeah um, so yeah it's, it's a really cool episode with you know a lot of fan service a lot of you know oh there's that person and that person back together we get to see Arya and John. we get to see you know yeah, all these different talking about the swords and the and the Daener- uh, the Valerian steel and the fact that she's still got um, needle yeah needle yeah 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 but the, yeah. the, the cliffhanger is right at the very, very end of the episode, right? Where for the, for the first time since I think episode one, yep. Bram and and Jamie Lannister, you know, exchange glances. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Jamie obviously having turned uh, on Cersei, his lover slash queen, uh, has gone north to try and, you know, take up arms against the dead. Um, he is in disguise. He's dyed his hair and he's, you know, wearing a, a hood. He shows up. <laughs> Interesting policy on uh, who they'll let in the doors of Winterfell at this time of year. Anybody, apparently, yeah. Anybody can just wander in like, oh, it's the Kingslayer, he's fine. Um, He walks in the door and then is sort of looking around and he's like, you know, having a look around and then he looks across the courtyard and comes eye to eye with uh, yeah, Brandon, who's of course at that point, you know, looking like his sort of creepy catatonic self Um, and that obviously sets the stage for, you know, if he, Brandon, says you know, uh, this is the guy who pushed me out the window they'll execute him immediately oh, really? so the question the question is well because bran bran and jamie and cersei are the only ones who know how this all started right because um because the very first episode is the one where bran catches them having sex and then he pushes him out the window and then they disappear and they're never back to, to the north again this is the first time that it's ever come up brandon's never told anyone that that uh jamie's the one that pushed him out the window does he know he does he knows but he's never told anyone and if he tells anyone they'll they'll mm. kill him right. so obviously it would be pretty terrible storytelling to have all of this all played out just for brandon to say yeah he did this and let's hang him but uh it's going to make for an interesting little inquisition um obviously there are people there who are on jamie's side um you know brianne of tarth is there you know they obviously was she there i didn't see her she was yeah so okay. it'll be interesting to see sort of you know the people who are on his side versus not on his side he is going to be the the bearer of uh news that sansa in particularly was the one who was you know 
know, giggling to herself during this one, you know, where Tyrion is saying, oh, yeah, the Lannister forces are on their way. And Sansa sort of says, you know, you're, you're kidding, right? You actually trust Cersei is going to send her army to help us. Right. Um, Jamie is going to be the bearer of bad news now that they've basically caught him sneaking in. He'll have to say, I'm here because I'm the only one coming from that army. And this is all we have to deal against the Knights, the Night King's army. Right, right. Hmm. So, again, I think this sets us up for episode two, which is going to be, I think, a little bit more exposition because three seems like it's going to be the Battle of Winterfell. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we're going to have to, you know, sort through all this. There's a little bit more of table setting to come. Um, episode three is, uh, if you look, the, the, the deadest giveaway is the fact that Miguel Sepechnik is going to be the director for episode three. Uh, he famously did um, Hard Home, Battle of the Bastards, uh, some of the most dynamic fight episodes, battle episodes uh, of Game of Thrones. He has directed the, the third episode, and he's also directed the fifth episode of the season. So you can read into, of the six episodes, it seems like those will be the ones that are more likely to have these big, huge, epic, uh, you know, dragons and knights and swords and horses and, you know, battles and everything. So, um, yeah, but this this episode was really it was, it was about fan service. I think it was just about, you know, all these people seeing each other and getting back to together and reuniting and, and table setting. It did seem a little bit slow for something when you realize you only have six episodes left, though. I, I watched this episode and it was all very satisfying, but I was like, I can't believe we spent the whole episode doing this when there's only six episodes. Yeah, true. And what did you think about the kids from the Iron Islands? I'm glad those... that it was only like three minutes of them. That, that was the best <laughs> That was the best part of the episode. They were like... Well, I, don't, I don't mean the two. I don't mean the... Uh, what's his name and, and what's her name? Uh, uh, I mean, Theon the, and Yara. Yeah, and the, and the cousin or brother or whatever the one who's uh, taken oh, over you're the on you're on yeah who goes and shows up with with Cersei and she kind of kind of goes okay sure why not yeah but, but is she doing that is she doing that to legitimize her pregnancy I don't like to think, say I, yeah I, I don't think so I think uh, I think she realized because he basically says you know if you're not gonna hop into the she sack was immaculately me, conceived right uh, no she said she would tell everybody that it was Jamie's baby although now that Jamie has left her I don't think she's as willing to do that um so maybe there is some of that but i think the table i think in my mind is being set for i think she's going to lose this baby before it can be born um, really yeah I, I do think that i don't i i think i think the baby oh, dies before she dies or whatever or? well because really she's this is all she's got left right she's lost everything now she's lost all of her original children she's lost all of her family and she's now she's lost jamie i think that's why she slept with euron was because euron basically said if you're not going to sleep with me why am i even here and she realized, like, I'm running out of allies, strength, and, you know, the ability to, to have any kind of power or clout. I got to get this guy under my thumb. And if that means sleeping with him, then so be it. But uh, I have a bad feeling about I mean, I, I think anybody who watches the show who doesn't think that Cersei Lannister is done for within the next six episodes is probably crazy. But um, I, I mean, she's the bad guy, right? Like, she's the last of the I mean, she's a monster. She's she is. Yeah. But from her there's, there's nothing she's, redeeming. She's left of her the rights to do what she's doing right I, I guess although i think the you know the way that this is played out you know she kept saying it's for the family it's for the family it's for the family it's not anymore it's not about the family she's right family's gone and she's this is really just about for her so she's you know and the decision she's made you know she can say it's for the family it's for the family 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 it doesn't mean she's not a monster uh True. so i don't know how 
you can redeem that. I mean, Jamie was a monster. If you start from where he was in season one, episode mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. to I will push a child out a window to yeah. uh, uh, protect my secrets, to right. who he is now, he could make the argument he has been redeemed. Uh, I don't know how in five episodes you can redeem the monstrosity that is Cersei Lannister. Mm, I see. Okay. What do you think, I wasn't, of, I wasn't thinking about redeeming. I was thinking about her surviving, just being wicked and whatever. Yeah, I, I don't think that she can hang around because she's just, you know, counter to everybody else, right? Like, she, there's no way she, if you leave her around that she's going to uh, stop scheming and trying to take over the throne. Um, and it would be a good comeuppance given her story arc. I do think that there's a little bit of both, like, in terms of, like, why she ended up sleeping with Euron. I, I do agree it was to help keep him under control because she needs the Iron Fleet. And also as sort of a scheming backup of, like, well, he didn't just, like, get called, um, you know, sneakily. This was, like, very openly in their court. So it does leave some... Uh, opportunity for her to proclaim it to be the baby to be Euron's if she needs to make that particular kind of political move. Yeah. But didn't the Iron Fleet just leave? Uh, uh, no. Not, not all of it, I don't think. I think the Greyjoys uh, absconded away with part of uh, part yeah. of the fleet, whoever was loyal to them, I guess. Yeah. Right. That, okay. that was a, like the ultimate, uh, you know, we, we always talk about this, and you guys bust my nuts over a little bit, which is fair, but the, the one line in this show that just immediately caught my ear was the part where, uh, you know, uh, the queen of plot exposition yara Grey- Greyjoy, at one point basically says you know oh you want to go theon and you want to fight with the starks well let them know that if things go badly they can always come to the iron islands and have a place that's safe to stay uh again you don't say that kind of stuff unless it's going to come back around that's just dumb so uh that was a really weird little plot exposition we had to shoehorn this line in here you don't say that stuff unless it matters kind of moment for me um if you look at the way that the again the season's mapped out six episodes uh uh, it looks like it's building towards the Battle of Winterfell, the dead versus the living at Winterfell. Um, and then there's going to be another battle in episode five. Uh, you have to think that, you know, at some point, you know, maybe season uh, episode four, they are going to end up on the Iron Islands re- regrouping and trying to figure out how to finally stop the army of the dead. Um, because the, the part that the hasn't been commuted... can't swim or something? Well, that's, that's the theory. Although the part that hasn't been added uh, up for anybody here, because the only people who know this is the truth are currently uh, at the Reach, or um, not Reach, the um, Last Hearth, is um, uh, Beric Dondarrion and um, what's his name, the leader of the um, the Northerners. Um, they're the only ones that know that, he, that the bad guys have a dragon. No, no, Dragons can... some, somebody says that the, the, your, your dragon is dead and it's turned into a... And turned into a... Yeah, Bran, Bran says it because he can see it. Yeah, he says it to, to um, Daenerys early in the Oh, episode. there you go. So, because, I mean, that one's a, like oh, no, the Iron Islands will be fine. Like, no, they won't. They've got a dragon. They'll fly over and they'll just burn the Iron Islands to the ground. Like, Well, and, and also when they went to, they, didn't they walk underwater when they were trying to go, when the guys were on the island and uh, on that ice? Uh, yeah, how did, how did they lake. think they got those chains wrapped around the dragon? Well, yeah, because they all, but they were all walking underneath the, the ice, right? Yeah. yeah. Right, but like, not floating, right? Like, the, the ice may not have been that thick, for that, or the, the water may not have been that thick at that part, because they were to land, but every 
everything we've seen in the Iron Islands, like they're they're pretty steep. Like yeah, oh, they're like the new, they, like they'd the have Nordic to <laughs> like yeah. you know make a, a a white ladder, you know, W I G H T ladder yeah. of like <laughs> they can they can just climb up each other like ants or something. Yeah, like the doing it from the yeah. ocean. Uh, I, guess, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. But uh, I mean, really, I think the the fascination is how they how they bring all this together. How do they land this in five more episodes? Now, granted, those five episodes are the length of about seven regular episodes, so there is going to be a lot of story still to come uh, in this season. But, uh, you know, how do they bring this off in a satisfying fashion? How, fashion? how do they, uh, you know, who do they let live? Who do they, who dies? Um, you know, it, I, I don't have a good feeling about how this Battle of Winterfell is going to go. It seems like, you know, uh, what what is coming down towards them, especially if they're not going to get the Lannister army to support them. It seems like it's all going to end pretty badly for them there. Um, and there's been some speculation, and I think it's an interesting uh, sort of thought process is, you know, the, the crypts of Winterfell are filled with dead people. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. What, the, what if they get animated, right? Yeah, I mean, are we ready for, like, the uh, headless corpse of Ned Stark to start rolling out of there? Well, yeah, by the way, did you... Oh, no, I... <laughs> I, I when I when I went to queue up the uh, the episode I was streaming it on on a device and I accidentally clicked on um, episode season one episode one right mm. and it's been so long since I've seen it that I thought oh this is new right what I was watching but in the titles it had Sean Bean and I went wait a minute isn't he dead yeah. what if Sean Bean comes back as a nice guy it, it's conceivable although as I say he was uh, he was decapitated so I'm, I'm oh, not sure so how they not, would not so much okay okay how, how they would swing that one but uh you could several other members of the stark uh lineage are yeah. you know waiting to be arisen um you know that could be a real key plot point to sort of pay attention to as we go because uh there's a lot of potentially you know internal dead people that could start rising from those crypts and then you're fighting a war on two fronts you're fighting to keep them from attacking you through the walls and the ones that are inside too so um it could be really interesting to see how this this little stretch plays out but i want wonder how this next episode plays out if it's going to be more table setting or if we're actually going to start getting some momentum towards uh you know towards a finale here as you say it's it's down to two locations right it's it's winterfell and it's king's landing and even in king's landing it's not exactly really happening it's palace intrigue but it's not like the action scene right yeah no for sure i i'd love to see a curveball this week where you think that the dead are all gonna you know march towards winterfell uh but the army's split and half of them are headed for king's landing or something like I'd like to see a real something that we aren't expecting, or or that the Night's King has taken the dragon there while the while the Walkers are all headed for for Winterfell or something. Just something where you're like, you know, oh, I didn't see that coming, but you know, it's you know, you think it's all going to be heading down towards like they're just going to march march in a straight line. They're like, okay, well, first we'll do the East Watch, and then we'll walk down to Winterfell, and then it's like they know the pathway or something, you know. Sure, I'd like sure. it. I like it if they threw us a curveball this week. Yeah. Well, what we'll to wait and see. Actually, I don't know if I'm. I don't know how I'm going to even watch the episode i'm going to be mind you i'll be late over in vancouver so i'll be able to watch the episode at some point um yeah i have like an eight hour layover in vancouver on my way out to uh hawaii also not sure what we're going to do next week about podcasting but um before we run into actors in a podcast length can we really whip through the uh, orville i have a question i want to ask in the after show i think um and then we should do the watch list so are we going to do the, the orville this week we I mean, do the, thir- the 30 uh, second orville recap yeah i, I like the, i like 
like the the recap is you know Marina Sirtis was a school teacher, Topo was a dick, um, <laughs> and then at, by the end of this episode he was less of a dick. So <laughs> yeah, that was my that was my uh, eight line <laughs> synopsis. Marina Sirtis yeah. was a school teacher, Topo was being a dick. Fortis finds a female baby with his parents. The Orville tracks him to a planet of female Mocklins. The females want to be a free state. The Mocklins threaten to leave the union. The Mocklins move in. They decide that they can get along. Uh, they play some Dolly Parton. At the end, there's peace, and Topa is less of, less of a dick to girls. Right, um, right, okay. So, so the so does the union does the union help this fem- female uh, society or does the Mocklins? I, I missed. I didn't watch the whole episode because again, Rogers. Um, but they where, where I where I left off, the they had just found them and they were going to go and make their case to the to the union. But the the Mocklin were showing up to blow them up or something or yeah, the Mocklins basically say like you know that they, they are um, you know the idea of them escaping is is against their laws and they don't think they should be you know heard that they don't have any rights that they have you know uh, broken the law and then yeah the Mocklins basically say like we're we're gonna go in there and, and apprehend them um, in the end they basically say like oh we're not gonna actually give them statehood is it I mean again put two and two together in this one and it's Israel Palestine but anyways um, <laughs> so did they leave them on the planet it's, or it's not? a pretty terribly and thinly veiled allegory but um, right. but yeah they basically they agree to leave the, the the women there but they also break down their network so they can't get any more young girls off Mockless. Oh, okay so gotcha, gotcha. they're basically like okay so the 6,000 of you are free you don't get to be your own state but we won't uh, we won't kill you but we've also disassembled your network for getting people out so therefore we're going back to oppressing girls and and um, arbitrarily changing their genders uh, because that is our way. So much ado about nothing in the end. Nobody's satisfied. Again, see uh, Palestine slash Israel. Um, I don't know. Jaime, you're always the, the prime defender of this. I still can't get over it. I, <laughs> I looked online this last week. I read three articles that were just glowing endorsements of the Orville about how it is this throwback to oh a my halcyon God, really? day of of sci-fi storytelling and it is the best science fiction show on television and I threw up in my mouth a little bit. I I don't understand. Like, I don't think it's terrible. It's certainly watchable and I do like some of the characters and it can be it's funny. It's Gilligan's it can, Island of Star Trek for sure. Yeah. It, it's it's eminently watchable. It is highly digestible. It is, uh, it, you know, again, the people who are writing for it, a lot of the people who write for it are former Star Trek writers. A lot of the people who are working on it, they've had now what? Like, easily six or seven maybe more guest stars from from the star trek universe um you know it's clearly it's doing a thing that people like and are responding to but to me it just feels like uh you know just the cheapest form of sci-fi storytelling like it's just so not uh you know in the same way i was just describing my my lack of enjoyment for what star trek had been doing the last 15 years by going backwards this is the ultimate version of going backwards it just keeps going and doing the same thing over again that we were getting in 1987. Well, storytelling and we as human beings have evolved into a more mature way of expressing ourselves. I don't need 1987 storytelling. If, if somebody was like, hey, 
I'm going to do a brilliant homage to original Trek, I'd be like, great. I don't really want stories that have the, all the nuance of a 1960s science fiction story. We've evolved from there. So anyways, I'm, I'll get off my soapbox. But I, I can't believe the number of people who gushingly talk about this show as if it is the greatest science fiction product available right now. In my opinion, it truly just is not. But yeah, yeah. I may, as as our resident defender of the Orville. <laughs> so I'm not going to uh, make counterpoints on everything you say because I do Don't think worry, it's, it's, judge it's it. just very true. So as I've said before about the like comfort food nature of the Orville, like <laughs> I, I sit is 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 one of the the rare few who enjoys Discovery and the Orville. It seems like online there's a lot of uh, rivalry and combativeness between the two um, the two fandoms. For me, I have seen in the last um, five years or so people looking back at Star Trek Voyager with a new light and in a less harsh, a less critical light. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's uh, people uh, being nostalgic or people looking at things. All right, if you remove the hype, now just watch it on its own merits. And people are finding some joy in Voyager. And I think if you're out there listening and you find joy in Voyager, then I think you have to like the Orville, right? Because it's it suffers from the same sort of things that you just talked about, John, that it suffers from, hey, this storytelling is basically like TNG, except TNG is now, you know, 30-some-odd years ago, whereas Voyager was only a handful of years divorced from TNG, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's where it may have been not so fresh then, now it's kind of so old now that it's like retro <laughs> and it's comforting in that sort of way, like bell-bottoms and, and other things. Yeah, I think people who wear bell-bottoms also need to be questioned, but, you know. Hey, come on, there's nothing wrong with bell-bottoms if you're born in the <laughs> Sure, if, that, if it's 1976. Yeah, it's not <laughs> bell-bottoms anymore. Those those came back, and then stuff from the 80s is, uh, is kind of the, the majority thing, right? And so we have, like, Transformers, Bumblebee, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But the new thing that I'm starting to see now is 90s stuff is coming back. And I'm getting really? very irritated at these darn young high schoolers. I'm like, what? You can't be wearing that. We were wearing that in, in the 90s. Stop that. It's not new. It's old. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe it is part of that, you know, it is a nostalgia thing. And and I do, again, I completely understand the philosophy behind it. I watch Orville and I enjoy, particularly the moments of levity. I do think that that is something that has always been missing from some of these, you know, science fiction uh, shows. They take themselves very seriously. There's an earnestness that is not earned in some cases. Um, I do enjoy the levity. However, uh, it's just, it's the swing, right? Like they go from these like dire situations. You can't just be talking about your penises for five minutes and then start talking about life or death situations and not have me be like i, I can't, can't <laughs> right? yeah, i can't invest it, yeah. in that same way like the tension moments aren't as high if the lows are you know what i mean like it just doesn't have the same gravitas see uh, to me to me the 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 problem with the orvo is is like i talked about when i talked about the flying hip bones that the ships are is you know my artist eye looks at bordis's head and, and what's his, his partner's name clytus uh, clytus the, yeah it was, was clytus the one behind making Topa into a dick? I think he was, right? Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, Clyden, so, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the Mocklin, the Mocklin character, like, the shape of their heads, you know, I mean, like, the heads are so big, if you look at the, like, go back and watch the show, the faces are so small, because there actually are human faces, and yet the heads are so big, so it's kind of disproportional, you know, um, it's kind of like the the, the queen in, in Star Trek, you know, she had, her eyes blink sideways instead of up and down, 
down. I mean, like, mm. uh, there was a character in the Star Trek movie um, when um, Jim Kirk is being born. There was like a character where they had they had um, used uh, um, no, I want to say Photoshop, but they had made the woman's eyes look bigger, so that looked more like she looked more alien than 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 human, you know, yeah. um, successfully in that sense. Like, you know, because they because they had taken the time and effort to make that effect, right? But as I look at the Orville, it's kind of like it's too clean for one thing, right? It's <laughs> too the design of the ships are not. I mean, as much as you say the writing is great because they're using they're using Star Trek writers. And yeah, some of the plot points and some of the lines and things like that are are good. But I find the Orville just it's too McDonald'sy. You know, it's not. It's 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 too. It, it's it's just a little bit off. Like the edges are not quite. You know, if you look at the current Star Treks that we have now, they're very much like a J.J. Abrams or even I hate to say it like a Blade Runner because they've taken that sort of um, philosophy of, of this is where society is going to go. I mean, like if you if you go out into the streets, you know, if you look at the postcard pictures of Toronto or Seattle, you know, it they look pretty clean, right? But if you look in you know in the corners, you'll see there's debris and cigarette butts and you know uh, old paint peeling and whatever. I mean, and Star Trek does try to put that into their their ships, and of course they're well kept ships and stuff like that. But there's deep if the level of detail that goes into an enterprise or a discovery, you know, uh, is is quite good. And even in the the, the original series. At the time, that was pretty pretty futuristic looking stuff, right? Um, yeah. I find the Orville just a bit odd, and and this character Isaac, I, I just can't stand his head, like yeah. you know, and and the fact that he looks like he's wearing hockey equipment, you know, like like um, that it it just it just from a from an aesthetic point of view, I will don't get me wrong, I will watch the Orville, I I tape it, I sit down and watch it, you know, it's one of the shows that's in my rotation, I will watch it, and we will talk about it on this show, but aesthetically, I don't think it holds a candle to Star Trek. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. When we talked about that with last week, you know, I, I gushed a little bit about um, Deep Space Nine, right? And the fact yeah. that it's getting that love with the documentary. Like, I I liked the evolution of going from TNG to Deep Space Nine because it spoke to a different part of that universe. It is the dirtier, less black and white, more complex part of that world. Um, and even Voyager, Voyager had that element because of the blended crews, and it had that element because... Because it was the question of if you could shave five years off a trip that's going to take you 70 years, would you make a, a questionable ethical decision? There was some complexity to it. Um, I think that's also kind of what's missing in in Orville so far is, is again, it's that sense of gravitas. Everything they're doing is very much story of the week, bad guy of the week, villain of the week kind of stuff, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It has its place. And they do a fine job of it. But I just feel like in a world where we've been exposed to exceptional storytelling, it feels like a step backwards. Um, and, and, and it's just disappointing because, again, if you're going to have this platform, if you're going to have the heft of somebody like Seth MacFarlane, who is so talented, put his weight behind this, it feels like you have an opportunity to do more. And I think that's my only real truth when I come back to it about this show is it feels like it should be able to do more. Um, It's not doing what it does badly. It just feels like the potential is there to do great things. And it's just not a great thing in my mind. Right, right, right. All right. Let's move on to the watch list because we got to get going. Going here, I mean, yeah. So, what what better way to end the season of Discovery than to have Anson Mount's Twitter thread?
thread where he has the video of the disco runaway or sorry, disco runway competition where uh, Doug Jones comes out in full Saru costume, struts out with a uh, a coat over, disrobes the coat, and then you know sashays his way back out the uh, back out the runway. Kind of a fun thing. It's like he's actually got pretty good movements. Uh, if you imagine a, a, a like Victoria's Secret model or something doing the same thing, like he seems like he's nailed it perfectly. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah, and everybody from the disco crew seems to be in, involved here in this uh, in this personal like iPhone shot video from what it looks like, and they're all uh, lined up in their little uh, little actor chairs, sort of uh, relaxing after a, a long day shooting Discovery. I'm sure. Well, I love that he's got the uh, he's got the shoes on too. He's got those those great big clumping shoes that uh, that Saru wears. Yeah, and his his little style of of walking as Saru with his arms sort of waggling behind his body yeah. actually works really well for this. Sort of thing for sure and what's next the next one is um a series of hbo commercials remember they have this whole thing i don't remember what the ownership relationship is but certainly broadcasting or first run sesame street new episodes comes out um, on hbo and they've decided to put that uh that synergy to the test here where they have a few videos the first one is uh, a game of thrones spoof where they get the actual cersei and actual Tyrion actors um and then they're joined by elmo who solves the whole thing by talking about uh, about respect and how you need to respect each other in the world <laughs> and then to follow that up they have westworld involved as well another hbo property where they have uh, bernard and dolores together and they also need a little bit of a lesson about respect and cookie monster joins the show to help them with do that cool. and then the final uh, short one is a uh, a rap video with uh common the rapper and in that one they have the the muppet crew singing about uh, respect and then as a nice bonus they have Muppet versions of uh, Dolores, Bernard, Cersei, and Tyrion. So if you wanted to see what they would look like as Muppets, there mm-hmm, you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, I think that was, I saw that a while ago. But anyway, yeah, it's cool. All right. So that's it for the, with this week. So, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. And Jonathan, people want to get in touch with you? Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. And you'd be imitating Barry White all week. Yeah. <laughs> I really Tim- don't want to spend the long weekend with a cold, but here we go. Yeah, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitcher machine is where you'll find me. Stay tuned for a special Star Wars question in the after show. So until next week or till whenever, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 That concludes another episode of SpotCast, streamed to you via subspace signal. I'm friend of the show, Greg Keo, joining you from Sector 001. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at SpotCast.com. You can get in touch with your Star Trek nerd hosts on the website or follow them on Twitter. They're at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send them a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending it to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount of gold press latinum at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help them out on the website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Wishing you peace and long life.
So here's my question, and this is the part I forgot to ask you guys earlier, but it's a good thing that's in the after show now. And and I don't know, this may have been this may have been already out there. This may have already been thought, but or, or discussed or whatever. But I don't know if we've ever discussed it. But here's my question to you. So given that in the last Jedi, when Luke Skywalker and I'm doing air quote dies, he just disappears and his clothing, his robe falls to the ground, right? And Obi Wan Kenobi, when he's struck down by Darth Vader in A New Hope. He also just disappears and his robes drop to the ground. Yoda, when he dies, also does something similar, I believe, right? Yeah, he just disappears and his, his blanket falls. So given that we were in, in The Last Jedi, we had this, you know, the ability to call to do the FaceTime calls, but they also have that new Apple feature where you could project your body into another part of the universe. My question is this. Was Luke really on the island teaching Rey? And was Obi-Wan really on Tatooine and the Death Star teaching Luke and Yoda. Is this the like Elvis Presley and Tupac and Bruce Lee are on an island somewhere sort of? No, I mean, <laughs> interesting so my, theory question, that, my like, question to you is this: is is given that this this force, this all encompassing force, as as Han Solo puts it, this you know this mystical whatever you know, I uh, forget the line he uses, but um, you know when when Luke's trying to fight the little thing with his helmet on, right? Um, the fact that these guys die and there's like no like when Darth Vader dies, there's a body and they cremate it, right? Okay, so, but to be fair. He was not. Uh, so what they establish in that prequel trilogy, which is uh, I can't believe I'm getting into this. But uh, in the prequel trilogy, they establish that um, it takes training to a certain extent to be able to uh, uh, become one with the force. Right. To reach this level. So that's what I'm saying, though. So my point is, does Ray find Luke on the island? Because who I mean who else who else sees Luke? Right. Chewbacca. Chewbacca. OK. Well, but but I mean, like, like, but does Chewbacca really? Yeah, they interact. No, but what I'm saying though, but but like given that like he like because he he certainly wasn't on the last planet fighting Kylo Ren. No, he was projecting, right? and he himself. wasn't he wasn't you know holding Carrie Fisher's head in his hand in his hands as he said goodbye to her at the end. No, because he wasn't there, right? No. So that's my question to you, like from from a from a you know a philosophical point of view or thinking about the Force, the way the Force works, and all that kind of stuff. Were these people were these were these actually people that were were really there, or were they just projecting themselves from wherever the, the Force guys live? Because you know they all show up at the, at the on the on the island or in the swamp, you know, waving at Luke. At, you know, I think it was in Return of the Jedi, right? In the forest moon of Endor. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting fan theory. Um, I, it, does it come around because of the name of the final movie, The Rise of Skywalker, and how to no, no, I was, reconcile I've been thinking, I was thinking about that from from the moment that Luke, you know, kind of just exhaled and just, you know, his robe just blows off into the wind. Was he really ever there? Uh, yes. I'm going to say yes, he was. <laughs> I'll also say yes, he was, but I, I can see the interesting sort of take on, like, once you establish that you can do the FaceTime call and project yourself pretty convincingly, then it opens up all sorts of possibilities from previous movies. Because even even Darth Vader kind of, like, kicks at, at Obi-Wan's robe in, in Episode 4 after he just vanishes. Like, he, not, he doesn't cut him down. He, he's just, he's gone. And he's like, yeah, I think the idea is that it, in that moment of his death, he chooses to merge with the force, right? No, I, yeah, I, I get that piece. But, but you know, conservation of mass and all that kind of stuff, too, considering that, right? Okay, well, we've established that we're dealing with mysticism. I don't think you can apply the laws of physics, but... <laughs> or can I, you? I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that, yeah, I, 
I have been bothered since I was a little boy by the appearance of uh, Anakin at the end of Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. That bothered that bothered me as like an eleven year old, and it continues to bother me to this day. How is it conceivable? The idea would be that in the moment of dying, in choosing to save his son, that he is redeemed, and by being redeemed, he then becomes one with the Force. But then, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I I guess I can put up with that. Although I I still don't think I agree with the philosophy of that one. But if you want to go there, yeah, George, he was such George, a bad it's your dude story, life, right? Yeah, like, George, it's your story. If you want to do that, if you think that one act redeems a lifetime of monstrosity where you literally murdered children, uh, sure, okay, fine. Yeah, it's the equivalent of Harvey Weinstein appearing in, in with them, right? Yeah. So uh, to be fair to Mr. Weinstein, not a child murderer, but um, so <laughs> then you go into the this prequel trilogy where they establish that it's not something that every Jedi can do. Like, not right. every Jedi becomes a Force ghost. Not every Jedi has the ability to live on beyond uh, mortal life. Uh, that you actually have to work at it and train at it. So the idea is that... Um, Yoda and Obi-Wan in their time of isolation are training themselves through the force, their meditations, their development. They are working towards this so that when they finally die, they can become one with the force and, and extend their lives or, or, or existences in this way. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that that's established as Canon again, how the heck are we supposed to take it that Anakin by doing one good thing in a lifetime of monstrosity and petulance and fear and anger and hate and all these other things suddenly gets the same lineup as them. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but coming back to my original question, when, when Alec Guinness walks into the valley to rescue Luke and finds, you know, R2-D2, and this bothers me, can't remember that he owned a droid. But, um, you know, the, the like, my, my point is, like, may, is it not conceivable that Obi-Wan's energy could have manifested himself into the figure of Alec Guinness and and, and participated in, in the movie in order to to guide Luke on his way to becoming a Jedi, right? Because at the point that Uncle Ben says all the Jedi's are dead and gone, right? And that you know there was a guy named you know Ben who lived off in the in the woods, but nobody's seen him for years, kind of thing, right? Yeah, you know. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I will say the one thing that I do like about this new trilogy is that J.J. Uh, J. Abrams and and Gareth Edwards, who did the second one. Um, have made a point of saying that they aren't beholden to what you understand right. as the rules right. of the Force. So when people were like, oh, how come all of a sudden people can use the Force to have, you know, FaceTime calls? How come people all of a sudden can use the Force to, you know, teleport their, you know, appearances across the galaxy and stuff like that? And they're saying, how do you know they couldn't do that before? That just nobody was powerful enough or knew to do that? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or needed to, or, you know, again, like, or even, or even uh, the, the general pulling herself towards the ship when she gets blasted out into space. Exa- right? Exactly right. The, what they're saying is basically like, just because you've never seen that before, it doesn't mean that it couldn't be done. And also necessity is the mother of invention in a lot of these cases. These are very powerful uh, people with this ability. You know, if they need to do it, who's to say they can't do it? Um, so in my mind, that was like Luke was on the island. He put himself there because he... He was so, uh, you know, ashamed of what had had transpired, where he had had the thought of killing Kylo to prevent his fate. Um, I think that that idea of isolation, I think, is integral to that story. So I think he really was there because the idea of him isolating himself is 
integral to who he was and his redemption at the end of the story where he decides to get back into it, albeit in that non-physical way. Um, it, it is his redemption. It is his, you know, I've been out of the game for too long and now I'm back in the game, but it's going to cost me everything, including my life, to use all my strength and all my force powers to do this um, because I unfortunately sank my X-Wing. I could have been there. I could have flown there if I hadn't sank my X-Wing. Um, What's yeah, I can bring the X- X-Wing back out of the water? Like, you know. Well, except that if it had been under there for 20 years, it probably wasn't oh, in great shape. Right, right. Because we do see it underwater, but if he's been there since he arrived and he had never had an intention of leaving, it, it would not be, I think, an operable vehicle. The, right, the difference right. between Dagobah is Dagobah's been underwater for like a couple of days. He brings it out. He, so, he dries it off and it's fine. If it's been under the seawater for 20 years, it's probably not so good anymore. Yeah, like coral should have grown on it and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But but no, I, I do think that, that that is important, right? I think the idea that he isolated himself out of shame, you know, he had that moment where he did contemplate killing Kylo. Uh-huh. And he blames himself for everything that spilled out of that, for, for Ben's turning, for, for Ben becoming the monster that he is. Um, so, so you know, living on, on Octo is, is his sort of penance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tend to think that he really was there because of that, because he did feel that shame. And so, and I'm not sure, I mean, again, Obi-Wan, I think, again, just because, you know, it's sort of established through all the other canon, through the, you know, the Clone Wars and the Rebellion and or Star Wars Rebels and stuff like that. He went to go live out in the, uh, you know, on the edge of the Dune Sea because he was there basically making sure that nobody came and messed with Luke, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Like, he made the choice, like, this is what I'm going to do now, is I'm basically going to live here, I'm going to meditate all day, I'm going to figure out how to become one with the Force by doing that, and I'm going to make sure that nobody messes with Luke while I'm here. So, interesting theory, but I, I tend to think that it's probably more along the lines that they, that it's just, it's extreme uses of the Force that not everybody can do. Okay. Any thoughts, Jaime? I mean, I, I, I agree that it was uh, not the case that he was always projecting somewhere, right? That he was actually in the island mm-hmm. on Octo. All right. We'll have to see what you guys think when you watch the movie next time. <laughs> yeah, it, it does make me want to rewatch it, though. <laughs> yeah. I must admit, I've only, I think I've only watched uh, Last Jedi maybe three times. So maybe I need to watch it a couple more times and right, right. soak it in a little more. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of hugging and, you know, gee, what should we do now kind of stuff, right? Mm. Yeah. So what time just was Game of Thrones on for you in in Seattle there, Jaime? I misjudged it. I thought it was coming out at 9 p.m., but I guess that must have been 9 p.m. Eastern. Does it stream live everywhere on I, HBO now? Yeah, I think the idea is that basically once it goes live one place, it goes live every place. Okay, so then that would have been 6, 6 p.m. my time then because I, I went on slightly earlier. I think I was setting up my HBO Now account at like 8.30 and say, hey, what the heck? This episode's already here? Oh, Oh, maybe that was 9 p.m. Eastern that I saw. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm assuming it's 6 p.m. here, but I don't I don't know that for sure because I haven't uh, sat and watched it. Yeah, while I, think it was I, I think I might actually be on a plane at that time, so don't know if I'll be able to watch it. Unless they show it on the plane, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you get, like, an early leak somewhere on the torrents, right, like we were discussing earlier. Yeah. Now, now, for, now, Jaime, we for, talked about that. That's illegal. In Canada, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to get me in trouble, aren't you? I have to go hide <laughs> in the United States now. <laughs> purpose of your travel sir hiding from the cops man from the, the game of throne cops so so Jaime, are you doing the big uh marvel cinematic binge to get yourself ready for uh end game then it might well i'm not doing a big
binge, but my plan is to see Captain Marvel this weekend right. and prepare myself for that. But I've seen every other Marvel movie. Right. So, so you, I'm good. I'm not going to do like the crazy like 32 hour binge or whatever hours it is for 18, 18 movies. So like 34 hours probably. Yeah. You know, they, seen, you've seen Captain Marvel at all or? No, I haven't. I was in Japan probably when it came out. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Oh, you mean the, the last, oh, Captain Marvel. I was thinking Captain, Captain Marvel. Not, not Shazam. I, I'm, you know, I'm, no, no, I see was thinking of too, the other but... Captain, you know, Cap, what's his name? Um, Captain America? Yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen all of the Captain America movies. Okay. Oh, you still yeah. haven't seen Captain Marvel? Okay. Yeah, so I wanted to see that prior to Endgame, yes, since it seems it like she's so to critical to, to Endgame, so get myself up to speed there. Yeah. Yes, sir, yeah. Bob. All right. Well, I think we should sign off. All right. Well, let me know okay. what you guys want to do going forward. Again, we've got our tickets. Uh... Is that this this weekend? Or when is that? No, it's it's a week from tomorrow. Uh, it okay. opens a week, a week from tonight. Avengers does. A week from tonight. Yeah. And then, yeah, Xavier and I are going on uh, a week from tomorrow. I keep forgetting i got to send those tickets over to my friend. Mm. Who's gonna give are you going to try and see it in Hawaii? I'll try, yeah. I'll probably pop into a theater, even if I go by myself. Yeah. Right? Who needs friends? Hey, you know, you'll, you'll have your new Hawaiian friends. Oh, it's funny. I went to right. I went to see uh, I went to see the when I saw Don Quixote, a friend of mine. Where, the guy the guy was sitting next to he's he I talks. I said I go see movies by myself all the time. He says, Yeah, so do I. Like you're not talking to people during a movie. Yeah, you know, except you and I banter back and forth. Yeah, it's true. All right, yeah, we we do our mystery science theater version of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Alrighty then. So all right. we'll talk to you guys later. All right. Take Bye, care, guys. Later. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.